We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into a Thursday night edition of Hand Raised Guys. Normally we uh, have, here lately at least, we've had the live shows for you today. A little deviation from that pre-recorded show, but a lot of really good content I think you're going to like here on Hand Raised Guys. Ryan Brown of the next round joins. Matt Moscona from Baton Rouge joins as well. We talk about his uh, basic guarantee that LSU beats Ole Miss on Saturday afternoon. And then Ben Mintz makes his uh, usual weekly visit with us. We go over the weekend ahead in uh, college football, also the weekend ahead in the National Football League. This show brought to you each and uh, every week by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Uh, Comer is uh, in Tupelo and Oxford, that area, 662-801-1777. And if you're in the Memphis, Hernando area, get in touch with our friends at Southern, 662-429-4429. We got a little taste of the cold weather this week, still kind of chilly. It's going to warm back up, but you guys know what's coming. We've got a little appetizer. Cold weather's coming. We want to make sure that heating system is ready to go. So get in touch with the people at Comer and Southern. Make sure it's operational. Make sure it's safe. Make sure it's ready. So when the cold weather arrives uh, to stay for a while, you're prepared for that as well. So we're going to get to all those guests in just a few minutes. Uh, first, a few uh, programming notes. If you are uh, on the site, if you've been on the site earlier, you know that uh, McCready and Siski recorded uh, earlier as you're watching this. Certainly, I hope that we recorded earlier from Mobile, South Alabama, and Troy tonight here on Thursday night from Mobile. Uh, Tyler and I are planning to take that game in before I head over to Baton Rouge for Ole Miss at LSU. Uh, we have uh, Pete's Pigskin Preview. It's brought to you by Walk-Ons, getting you ready for the Rebels and the Tigers. Walk-On Sports Bistro puts everything they've got into bringing you game day with the taste of Louisiana. Dig into their mouth-watering, made-from-scratch Louisiana cuisine, po'boys, gumbo, voodoo shrimp, plus fan favorites like juicy burgers and fresh salads, all in front of 70-plus TVs, 40-plus ice-cold beers on tap. Check them out in Oxford or Ridgeland. Uh, we also have... Uh, 
This Butcher versus the Spin Instructor presented by LB's Meat Market, 2008, University Avenue in Oxford. All of the freshest cuts at LB. So if you're uh, not making the trip down and getting ready, you want to grill and uh, enjoy a Saturday of college football, a Sunday of college football, maybe you're already thinking about next week when the Rebels head to College Station, stop by LB's. All the freshest cuts of beef, chicken, pork, you name it, they've got it. House-made sausages, stuffed jalapenos, stuffed mushrooms, so many more things. Great. Um, service there with Greg and the people at LB's 2008 University Avenue in Oxford. We'll put this up as the Friday morning Oxford Exxon podcast, Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Coming up on 10 years of Oxford Exxon sponsoring this podcast. So do us a favor when you're coming into town or out of town, stop at the Oxford Exxon. You can fill up at the tank. You can also fill up inside great snacks, plate lunches, uh, all of those things at the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call that number, ask for Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours, right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, the rest completely up to you. You can shop it around or you can do what I've done. What I recommend that you do, and let's hop into a Clark Ford today. Again, 662-257-1900. All guests will join tonight on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Great place to go uh, have a beer, a uh, a cocktail, a po' boy, an appetizer. Just a good place to hang out, watch some games. College kids are going to take it over later that night. But you can go earlier in in the evening, earlier in the afternoon. And uh, enjoy a stop at Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford, also Rafters in New Albany. So uh, speaking of the Rafters Music and Food Hotline, we go now to Ryan Brown of the next round in Birmingham. Here's Ryan. My good friend Ryan Brown, kind enough to join us again this week, talk some uh, SEC football. they got a lot that happened last week, and I want to get his thoughts on Ole Miss at LSU, a uh, a, now it's an even bigger SEC West game, Ryan, because Alabama's got a loss, and both yeah. Ole Miss and LSU get shots at Alabama at their place. So suddenly, you know, I mean, I still think everyone would say Alabama's the favorite, but now you do have to kind of talk about it in a little different way because whoever wins this game in Baton Rouge on Saturday does control its own destiny. Yeah, it's easy just not Ole Miss because they sit right there in the top ten, but it's easy to kind of dismiss LSU and be like, oh, yeah, forget LSU. But you got to remember – I had to remind myself of this, is one loss was Florida State. That one doesn't matter in these terms. They're still right in the middle of the West race, which is a testament to the job Ryan Kelly has done year one. But you're absolutely right. You've got back-to-back games uh, for Alabama with with Ole Miss and LSU, back-to-back opportunities to play those two teams. And and, and look, Alabama's going to have to win those games now uh, that they have lost to Tennessee. There is no margin for error for Alabama in terms of those two teams, um, assuming those teams don't trip up. And that's what's yeah. fascinating. This is yeah, this this little section of games, starting with this Ole Miss LSU game, I think is massive. The winner of this game has to feel like, all right, I got a fighter's chance, I got a puncher's chance of making it to Atlanta. You know, for Ole Miss, if you beat LSU, it's so funny, right? We do this, and we do this in baseball season, like in a Major League Baseball season. You're a Nationals fan. I'm a Cubs fan. Neither one of our teams were doing this the last couple of years. But <laughs> yes, but we've done this before. We're early in the season, you know, you're like, really care about the way your team plays. Like, oh, yeah. I need them to look better. They're not very crisp or whatever. And you get to a point where you're like, I don't really care. Just win. 
I mean, just win. Oh, who cares? We made seven errors at shortstop, but we won t- 10 to 9. I mean, it's a W. And Ole Miss is there. I mean, they've been doing style points and all this stuff. And you look at them, you're like, oh, I don't know about the defense, but they win the game. If you beat LSU, whether you beat them 48 to 47 or you beat them 3 to 2, if you beat LSU, you go to Texas A&M. And if you beat Texas A&M, same thing, no matter how you do it, you get a week off. And while Alabama goes to LSU to play each other, you get to kind of figure it out a little bit, and then you get a shot at the whole thing right there on November the 12th. So for Ole Miss, in so many ways, it is right in front of them. Now, it is a daunting, daunting gauntlet to get there. I mean, LSU, Texas A&M, Alabama. But if you win those three games – you're you're going to Atlanta for the first time ever. Yeah, and, and you know I used to always say I think the greatest accomplishment of both Eli Manning and David Cutcliffe is that they had them in that one game. What was that? Oh three against LSU. Oh three against LSU. Uh, yeah. A seventeen to fourteen LSU win, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think that was the score. And because I've always said, you know, hey, hey, Eli Manning had ball in hand with a chance to go to Atlanta, and I mean nobody's done that at Ole Miss. And, and you know, Hugh Freeze had them. In the neighborhood, but Hugh never could just you know get the winds to fall the right way. Um, yeah, this would be amazing. I mean, if Lane Kiffin can get and Jackson Dart can get to that game with just the one West loss, so that it's winner has the tiebreaker. Uh, I think you've done a phenomenal job if you're Lane Kiffin and if you're Jackson Dart and if you're that Ole Miss team. Uh, you're right. You know, LSU Jaden Daniels is a guy that I've seen good Jaden Daniels like he was down at the swamp. I've seen bad Jaden Daniels like he was in Jordan Hare. Uh, this is a really difficult LSU team for me to figure out. And then a and I, I mean, I think they're bad enough to lose to anybody in the SEC, and I think they're good enough to beat anybody in the SEC. It's a, uh, that's it's two strange teams Ole Miss gets to play here. They're kind of hard to predict. Yeah, I can't decide whether I want to go back much or, or spend a lot of time going forward. I'm going to go quickly back because, I know, you have talked a lot about it. Uh, Alabama-Tennessee was a classic game. If you were the guy sitting in Dubuque, Iowa, who didn't care, you God, you got your dollars worth, right? I mean, you're sitting there with your popcorn and your Bud Light, and you're watching that going, this is awesome. And then it's crazy at the end, and you're like, you know, it does it, it does mean more. I mean, it, 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 it's insanity. For Alabama, um, I guess two things. What do you make of what Tennessee did? Tennessee went to LSU, bombed them, got home, beat Alabama, found a way. Super close game. And then with Alabama, it's another road game. where I know it's the outcome that we're hung up on. What struck me about Alabama is another road game, lots of penalties, not a lot of discipline. They uh, don't look like your typical Alabama team, kind of machine-like. This team's really human. They make a lot of mistakes. Uh, and this is several games in a row now on the road where I think it, you, you, we have to at least entertain the possibility that, that this is more than just a runoff. Yeah, I mean, I'll get to Tennessee, but you're right about Alabama is going back really, Neil, to, you know, 2020, the COVID year, Alabama, that's one of the best Alabama teams of all time. Now, because it was the COVID year, I don't know that it will get remembered the way it should, but they were dominant everywhere they played. Yeah. Really, except for that game at Ole Miss where it was just a track meet back and forth, right? Um, but by and large, you didn't see those cracks in this Alabama team. Something happened in 2021. I don't know what it was, but something happened, and it started in Gainesville, Florida, where Alabama jumped out to that normal road big lead, and you're like, oh, it's typical Alabama. They're just going to run Florida out of the stadium here, have this joint emptied out in the third quarter, and, you know, get some backups in. And then all of a sudden, Florida comes back. That game comes down to a two-point conversion. It did, yeah. 
And, and that whole the whole rest of that year, Alabama was not a good road team. Should have for Auburn. I mean, they played with fire so many times last year. I know. I know. The only good road game they had was at State. Uh, they beat Mississippi State, beat them resoundingly, like I think forty-one to nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, so then you turn the page to this, and you're like, hmm, wow, that's that's weird about Alabama. First road game, Texas, just like what was in Knoxville. A ton of penalties. Secondary couldn't cover. Defense looked lost at times. Offense, now this didn't happen in Knoxville, but the offense went in a slump, you know, was punting a ton. And it has just continued to be that way for Alabama. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know. They used to be so good on the road, so good on the road. And now they are so average. And the same thing happened in Tennessee. A ton of penalties. Alabama had a school record, 17 penalties. Alabama's defensive backs were absolutely lost. Jalen Hyatt had this incredible game. Against, I mean, just up and down the field, 200-plus receiving yards. Alabama could not cover him, couldn't cover him. Um, and it just, it was, without Bryce Young, Alabama gets beat by four touchdowns in that game. But Bryce Young was just superhuman and just continued to put Alabama on his shoulders and take him down the field. Now, as far as Tennessee goes, um, I, I, I personally, and I used to vote for the Heisman, I would have Hinton Hooker number one right now. I would, if, too. If, if I were voting for the Heisman, and I know maybe that's prisoner of the moment, but that's kind of the way you vote for the Heisman, honestly. Yeah. You, you know, you're a prisoner. But if, if, they, if they declared today that, hey, votes are yeah. due, ballots are due right now, he would be number one on my ballot. Yeah, yeah I'd vote for Hendon Hooker. Uh, you know, they've got an obvious Achilles Hill. Alabama doesn't even have that good of receivers, and Bryce Young had 455 pass yards. I mean, that's a problem for Tennessee. And if you go look at it, every quarterback they have faced has had his career day, basically. Uh, Jaden Daniels. Now, Richardson and Daniels both got behind, so they had to throw a lot, Florida and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, LSU. But, you know, Anthony Richardson had, I think, 430-something against them. Jaden Daniels had a 300-yard pass game against them. Bryce Young had 450. So it's starting to add up, you know, that, that pass defense. And I don't know where it gets them beat, maybe Athens, but it will get them beat somewhere that pass defense. So I, I love what Heupel has done on offense. I was as critical of that hire as anybody. I thought it was lazy and convenient and uninspired. And as of right now, I am the complete idiot in saying that because he has turned that program around quickly. He's done it. Yeah. I was the same way. I yeah. thought, what are you doing? Of all the people you could go get, that's yeah. most convenient. But hey, it, he, it, it, you have to at least start entertaining the idea. That you know what he's a really good coach, and here's why: Scott Frost won at UCF. He goes to Nebraska, and he did not win at Nebraska. Yep. Heupel follows him. He won at UCF, and now he goes to Tennessee, and he's winning. Got, the, the thing uh, the yeah. Don goes to UCF, and they're winning. So maybe UCF's just kind of a cushy gig. Well, that's true. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, Malzahn's a one-loss coach there right now. Um, his first year, I think uh, nine win. He's nine win Gus. So yeah, his first year he gets nine wins. The, the thing, I, if you go back and look at Heupel, you know, he took over the year after uh, Frost left, and I think they were like 12-1 and one or something like that, and then they were like nine wins, and they're like six wins, and that was what I looked at as it, it was a declining product. Now, one error I made in that is, I, and I, I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting what I said about Alabama earlier, but I'm not, that, 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 that COVID year, I tend not to hold that one against coaches. Like, if you want to say, oh, so-and-so was 5-5, five and five. well, what year was it? It was 2020. It was 2020. Well, yeah. I mean, he probably didn't have half his roster for half his games. I mean, I'm not going to hold that against a coach, right? Yeah, in the same way that, like, you know, like, Indiana was great that year. They've not been great since. 
No. Texas so, yeah. A&M was great that year. Truth is, they haven't been great since. Uh, you know, I don't. I hate to completely throw it out for people that had accomplishments, but at the same time, I mean, it was just such a weird deal. And to, after a while, you're just like, ah, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to talk about it that much, except for like Alabama, because Alabama was so good. And I'm like you, I don't even want to dwell on that year because I want to forget about it. But here's what I tend to do with that year is I tend to say, you know, the people that accomplished something, it's almost even more impressive because they were having to deal with assistant coaches that weren't available, players that weren't available. The night before a game, they find out, oh, my, my starting quarterback failed, a, you know, some random COVID test that might not have even been accurate. Now he's sidelined. I mean, all those things, Neil, were just so if you accomplished a lot, I tend to look at it and say, hey, that's even another feather in your cap because of all you probably had to overcome. But if a coach is three and seven that year, I'm not going to hold that one against him. That's kind of the way I do it. Is if you accomplish something, I give you credit for it that year. But if it's the one year where you really sucked, I'm not going to. I'm not going to hold that against a coach. Yeah, that's more than fair. Um, right, let's touch Auburn real quick, and then I want to dive into the Ole Miss LSU thing and kind of A and M South Carolina, which I think is a game that nobody's talking about that I'm kind of fascinated by. Maybe I'm an idiot, but I like Shane Beamer. I think that's part of it. So we heard, you know, if Auburn loses. Might get fired on Sunday, might get fired on Monday. You and I are taping this late on a Tuesday, so perhaps he gets fired Wednesday morning, but it doesn't look like it. Uh, Harson's going to make it to the end, isn't he? Well, that's what it's starting to look like, and uh, I don't know if you and I have discussed this, but I think there are two schools of thought here. Um, one school of thought is they're waiting on the, the uh, new athletics director to get hired. And once they get a deal in place of that new AD and he scanned the landscape and he knows what he's getting into, he's agreed to it. The school president then comes in and fires Harson and allows the AD to come in and be the white hat hero. I'm coming in here to, you know, clean this up. I don't know what happened in the past. I didn't work with Coach Harson. I hate it. Didn't work out. Didn't work out. But I'm here for the future, right? I don't, and then he doesn't even have to address it. So that's one school of thought. And you're not there yet because they haven't hired an AD. The other school of thought is, Boosters know they're going to have to stroke the guy a big check. He's not, he's not just going to settle for something. They tried that game in the summer to see if they could put enough pressure on him that he's like, I got to get out of here. What will you pay me to leave? Well, they know he's not going to now. He stood up to them, and he told them he wouldn't. So they're going to have to cut him a significant check. And the other school of thought is they're going to make him earn every dime of it. You know, if we're going to have to send him out with $16, 18000000 million, he's going to go take his beatings to earn it. And, and, you know, so those are the two schools of thought. And to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know which one's true. You're right. It's starting to look like the second one where he's going to coach through the Iron Bowl then get fired is the more likely one. But, you know, I, I would agree that you don't want your AD. You don't want to hire an AD and make him come in. And the first thing he has to do is fire a coach. You would prefer all that to be done and then let him come in and just start building, you know, from that baseline up. They didn't quit on him. They were down 21 to nothing. Yep. They were in trouble. And I, I mean, I was, I was there. I started to ride. I was like, this is going to be 42 to 10 or something. This is a. I thought the same thing, Neil. I mean, down 21 nothing and had just pulled their quarterback. You know, they're down 14 to nothing and go to TJ Finley. And Ashford, I, you were at the game. I don't know if you could see it on ESPN. His body language on the sideline was awful. Uh, he just looked like he had completely checked out. And Finley's in the game. I'm like, this thing is going to be ugly. Because at that point, I think Ole Miss was on pace for like 8,000 rush yards for the day. Auburn could not stop the run. And I'm like, I mean, there's nothing Lane's going to be able to do to take it off the gas. If Auburn can't stop the run, they're just going to go up and down the field. So I'm like you. I start thinking 42 to 6, he might actually get fired now. But you're right. I got to give him credit, man. Ashford came back in. He was a different quarterback. Uh, 
And that's, for the Ole Miss fans, the second and third quarter combined, probably the best half of football Auburn has played all year. And 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 it wasn't enough because, <laughs> in typical Harson fashion, his offense finally showed up and played a halfway competent game. And what happened? The defense got scorched by the run. I mean, it's they can't win, man. They just cannot find a way to put it all together. So what do you make of Ole Miss coming out of that game heading into LSU? I mean, obviously, there's you can always look at games so many ways. Defensively, Ole Miss got just gashed by the run. Uh, they contained Auburn's passing game for the most part. Um, and then Ole Miss offensively runs for 450-ish yards and dart through for 100, but he didn't have to throw. I mean, he was 9 for no. 15. He was fine. What did you uh, What did you make of what you saw? Well, I like what I see. I mean, I, I, that's the thing I've always liked about Lane, and you and I have talked about it every time we talk about Lane, is I love his commitment to running the football. I, I love that Lane Kiffin doesn't get caught up in, oh, I've got to throw X amount of times. If the run is there, Lane Kiffin is going to run the football. And you got to credit him for that. And the run was there. And he's like, Auburn, I'm going to run it until they stop it. And they didn't stop it. Um, I, I would say it is a slight bit concerning. Auburn has not been able to run the football like that on anybody this year. Tank Bigsby um, has had no kind of season. So for Auburn to run the ball like that on Ole Miss, I think is a concern for Ole Miss's defense as you face better run games like, you know, Alabama's, which, you know, has been really, really good with Jameer Gibbs. So uh, I do think I do find that concerning. Um, it was interesting. Mingo was so big against Vandy, and then, like you said, he didn't have to do anything against Auburn. So you know, what is the real Ole Miss passing attack? Is it what you saw in the second half at Nashville, which was very impressive, or you know, is it somewhere in between that and what you saw with the Auburn game? So what to make of LSU? Two weeks ago, they get blown out by Tennessee. They were sloppy, yep. and and I don't want to hear any of the eleven o'clock stuff. No, I dismissed that completely. They, they, Tennessee showed up. That place was ready to pop, and Tennessee said, nope, we're not going to have it. No party for you guys. And then a week later, they go down to Gainesville, and they kind of put together a, a complete offensive game. But Florida's 3-11 and in its last 14 SEC games. We, we have to stop this Florida is an elite program crap. It's not. It might one day be again, and it once was, but it's not today. And so I don't know what to make of LSU. Is it the team – I just I leave it at that. I don't know what to make of them. I have no idea what to expect from them on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, my, my takeaway from LSU is that when I think of LSU, I think of the fact that we're down 17 to nothing at Auburn. And Auburn completely shut down in the second half, played an awful second half, and turned the ball over a bunch. And that's how LSU came back and won that game. They really should have lost to Jordan Air. And, and and that's that's a bit big red flag to me, and Jaden Daniels was awful in that game. My other takeaway from them is what you talked about against Tennessee. Even though they won the Armour game, they, they felt like a loss in a lot of ways. They're coming against Tennessee. They fumbled the open kickoff. Tennessee goes right down and scores. Brian Kelly panics, and, and listen, I'm not a critic of Brian Kelly. I think the guy's a terrific coach. But he panics, and they go for a bunch of fourth downs. They were just out of sorts in that game. They never They never got in that game at all. Um, but then there's that performance at Florida that is different than those, right? Sure. I mean, you look at you look at what they did against Florida State. Now, I know that was the first game. You look at what they did against Auburn. You look at what they did against Tennessee. And all those things add up in line. And then you look at that Florida game, and you're right. Is that more a product of Florida? Is it more a product of LSU? Jaden Daniels was terrific. They just went up and down the field on offense. They handled the – even though you're right, Florida's not an elite program right now. It's still a tough place to play when it's a night game and the crowd's juiced up. It was Tom Petty Day, yeah. which I can, get behind, I can get behind Tom Petty Day anytime. 
one of the best concerts I ever saw. And uh, I, I, I was very impressed with that performance. So, yeah, it's the cliche thing is to say, as goes Jaden Daniels, so goes LSU. That has been the case so far. I don't know if it's 100% true. I don't know if he could play an average game and then beat Ole Miss. I don't know. It is a very, very puzzling team, though. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I don't know what you're going to get. Do you have a, a prediction on this? People aren't going to see this until Thursday night, so you guys may have already picked. What do you, what do you, what do you think? What do you expect? See, yeah, see, I saw Ole Miss open at two, and I think it's flipped all the way around to LSU one, one and a half, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, the money has come in early on LSU. It's a tough one, Neil. I, I would probably go Ole Miss. I think what I've seen, even though Lane has been really harping on playing consecutive halves, you know, good one half, good, you know, bad the other half, whatever that is. Even with that, I feel like I've gotten a more consistent product out of LSU, the thing, or out of Ole Miss than LSU. The thing that scares me to death is as much as I like Jackson Dart, his, his propensity to turn the ball over. Um, you do that on the road. It's different than when you do it at home. He got away I mean, from it last week. He didn't. He, yep, I know he had right. an interception, but it wasn't his fault. That was a, that was Mingo dropped a ball. But he, you're right. If he if he does what he did at Vanderbilt, where you have a couple of bad throws, and and that that'll get you in Tiger Stadium because that place. It's hard to explain it to people who've never been. That place just gets weird sometimes, it especially does. if you let it get weird. I mean, that crowd will turn on their team. Mm-hmm. They'll get way behind their team. It's going to be one or the other. They'll boo them off the field or they'll go nuts for them. But it's a crazy place to play. And then you mentioned the one against Auburn and Nashville, but there was the one against Kentucky, too, where if I remember right, you just didn't read the linebacker, right? And the linebacker just drops in coverage and he throws a terrible pick. You know, you do those on the road. You do it in a – and that's what scares me about a guy like Jackson Dark making a start in Tiger Stadium. Um you know, I'm trying to think back. I don't remember all of his USC starts, but th- this would have to be probably. Am I wrong about this? His toughest road start as a quarterback? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, he did at USC. That's going to compare to Tiger Stadium. I mean, unless I mean, he went to Washington State, which is a hard place to play. I mean, it is, yeah. but it's not. It is, but it's not. It's Tiger not Stadium, this. Yeah. yeah, this is different. Yeah. I mean, for you, when you look at these next two games for Ole Miss, which one's the one that scares you the most? Is it at LSU or at Texas A&M? That's a great question. Um, trying to say at LSU, A&M, you know, I'll say this about Haynes King, who, who Texas A&M is getting back. He didn't play that bad against Alabama. Actually played well against Alabama. He didn't get a ton of help from his offensive line. Alabama was all over him all night long. And that was another difference in the Bama-Tennessee game. Will Anderson and Dallas Turner didn't get anywhere close to Hannon Hooker. Uh, you go back and watch the A&M game, they were all over Haynes King. I mean, Will Anderson was next to him all night long. If he wasn't sacking him, he was pressuring him. If he didn't get a pressure, he, he ran up next to him after the pass just to let him know he was there. Uh, he didn't get to do that in Knoxville. So when I look at Haynes King, I look at the numbers he had in Tuscaloosa, and they don't blow you away. But when you consider everything he was dealing with, he had a pretty good game against Alabama. Um, so, I mean, at A&M, that can be a tough place to play, too. That, again, I said this about Texas A&M on our show today, and I believe this. They are absolutely good enough to beat anybody in the conference and good enough to lose to anybody in the conference. And I might have said that earlier in this interview. If I did, I apologize for repeating no, myself. No, you didn't. Um, but, but that's what I believe about them. I, th- I Honest to goodness, Neil, I think if, if, if A&M went to Vandy, they've got a chance of losing that game. If they went to Georgia or Tennessee, there's a chance they win that game. I just think that's who they are this year. Well, they're playing a team right in the middle of all that. 
like if you were a ranking team, South Carolina is probably closer to Vandy than it is Alabama and Georgia, but they're Shane's doing an okay job. They're going to play super hard. They got a big win at Kentucky. I know Levis didn't play. Not their fault. They took advantage of it. Um, got a weekend off. You know they're going to be super fresh. That place is going to be rowdy. The weather's going to be great. All that stuff. It's an interesting spot for Texas A&M because they're, they're more talented than South Carolina. But this is a super losable game for the Aggies, isn't it? No doubt. Yeah, I think they all are. Yeah, absolutely it is. And the thing, again, about Rattler that has disappointed me is how much he turns the ball over. And I know he did that at Oklahoma, but I thought maybe it matured a little bit. And I thought Carolina would get a little more out of him. I've been I've been underwhelmed at what Spencer Rattler has brought to the table. But like you, I am a big Shane Beamer fan. Um, I think he's a guy that motivates his team very easily. And you're absolutely right. This is an easy game for A&M you know, to look past, look at Ole Miss, look at whatever. And that is another – I mean, this is true about almost anywhere on the road in the SEC. That is another underrated, difficult place to play. Williams-Brice can sure. be a tough place to play. I'll never forget, I covered a Thursday night game there. Ole Miss was fourth in the country. And I remember getting down on the field in the last few minutes when Ole Miss was trying to come back. And that place – and I've been in just about every venue – that place was as loud as you're, as yeah. you're ever going to hear it. In the press box, it felt like it shook. It was so, but it was loud. Like you could not, you you could not focus. It was so loud. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a different, it's a different place. I, I think they're ready for a and I think it's a fascinating game. It's the game nobody talks about for obvious reasons, but but it's there. Um, we won't spend much time on it. Alabama just crushes state, right? This gets ugly. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all. When Alabama hasn't had great defenses over the last couple of years, State has been able to do nothing on them. They have diagnosed that defense, that offense very, very well. Saban and Pete Golding have a good handle on that offense. So even if State were coming in hot, I would feel that way. But now that State has laid some eggs, uh, no pun intended, but laid some some eggs against LSU, and then were they were just awful against Kentucky. Uh, Ten offensive points against Kentucky. Uh, and Kentucky, and I, you and I know we have talked about this before, I, I've always said Kentucky's the best in the conference about dragging you down into their style of play. And the time of possession of that game was 40-20. to 20. And Kentucky just possessed the ball and kept it away from State. And that's what Alabama, in a lot of ways, has been able to do. But they've defended Will Rogers very well. Uh, yeah, and, and State, this is like the third time, I think, in the last six or eight years they've gotten Bama coming off a loss. So it's bad timing for them. Uh, Alabama just doesn't lose back-to-back games, and you just got to feel Alabama wants to prove a point here. So, yeah, I, I don't like this spot for Mississippi State at all. Last thing, we're uh, still too early to talk about it too much, but we're a couple weeks away from having some weird playoff conversations, right, where you could have an 11-1 and Tennessee that doesn't make the SEC championship. You could have uh, the whole – same thing with the Big Ten. Like it's conceivable that you have a scenario where you have eleven and one Michigan and eleven and one Tennessee, and neither one of them won anything. And maybe you have a twelve and one USC that wins the Pac-12, or a twelve and one Oregon that wins the Pac-12. Getting to four in that scenario gets gets pretty squirrely, especially like if Clemson runs the table and gets one of the spots. Yeah, let's just eliminate everything west of the Mississippi. Let's assume the Big Twelve and Pac-12 set this one out. I want to ask you this. Okay. Uh, defeated ACC champion Clemson, which I don't know who's beating Clemson. They play Syracuse Saturday. 
that that might be their most losable game left on the regular season schedule. Um, and I don't think it's very losable. So um, Clemson's undefeated ACC champion. Let's say Tennessee goes to Athens, loses in a classic. Okay. All right. All right. And then, and then Bama beats Georgia in the SEC championship. So you got three one loss SEC teams oh. that are identical. Okay. Yeah. And then Ohio State and, and Michigan are going to be undefeated, and one of those teams wins. I mean, who, who, where do you go there? I mean, now you got three one loss SEC teams that are almost identical. You've got Clemson, who you've got to put in. You've got the winner of Ohio State, Michigan, who you got to put in. So now you got the loser of that game, the SEC champions in. So you got three teams you got to pick one from. I I don't know where you go there. I don't know how you pick one in that scenario where yeah. you have Georgia narrowly beat Tennessee, Tennessee narrowly beat Alabama, and then for the sake of it, let's say Alabama narrowly beats Georgia. Beats Georgia, yeah. I mean, Alabama, Alabama's, in, yeah. Bama's in because they would have in that scenario. And I, and I guess you go Georgia because they narrowly beat Tennessee, but it kind of feels weird because Tennessee would have beaten the SEC champ. I know. I know. I mean, it is it is weird. And then, you know, you would look at the loser of Ohio State-Michigan, and you're like, that's a really good team, but who have they really played? I mean, at least Tennessee. Like, if Tennessee were the team in that scenario, Tennessee could say, hey, we beat Alabama. I mean, Alabama's the SEC champion. We beat them on our field. Beat Alabama. You beat Kentucky. You beat Pitt. You won some games. Yeah. I mean, you did. Yeah, we won some games, yeah. You know, you did. But if I, yeah, but the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game, I mean, Michigan's best win is going to be Penn State. And, and by the way, that's going to be Ohio State's best win, too. Yeah. Until they, beat, until they beat that other team, you know, whichever one wins that game, that's their best win. But the one that loses their best win is going to be Penn State. And, I mean, you watch Penn State Saturday, that looks a lot like a three- or four-loss team. Take a break in the podcast to tell you about Northeast Spark, N-E-S-P-A-R-C, service people across rural communities, two great packages the Ignite, the 100 Mbps, or the Blaze, the one gig that powers the Clark Ford Studio. I've got it at home as well. A great option for those who have multiple devices, streaming, gaming, and much more. Your hometown team bringing you world-class broadband. That's NESpark.com, 662-238-3159. Phone services available, parental controls, network security, a wireless mesh extender for those who need it, but not many of you will, and more. So again, the best internet in Lafayette County, also parts of Union and Pontotoc County. If you were not previously having access to internet service, find out if that's you. 662-238-3159. Podcast also brought to you by Prime Shrimp, primeshrimp.com. They have six different flavors ready to go, ready to ship to your door. And then within 10 minutes, freezer to plate, restaurant quality shrimp for you takes care of an easy dinner. Kids have a lot of activities, schools in session. Let Prime Shrimp help you out for dinner tonight. Again, their lemon cracked peppers, their newest offering, their signature, which is my favorite. Great, versatile, all-around options there with Prime Shrimp. They also have the two-pound bags of individually frozen shrimp, just like what's at the grocery store. It's a higher-quality shrimp from the New Orleans-based company. Use code MPW for $20 off your first order with PrimeShrimp.com. Podcast also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy, 662-236-2222. They deliver locally in the Oxford area, and they offer MedSync. Fill your prescriptions the same day each month. Take care of you. One trip to the pharmacy, one delivery, and you have everything you need when you need it with G&M. Also with Tyson Drugs and Holly Springs, same great service, same great people as G&M. They also, with their med packs, they individually package your medication for those who need that extra step. That is a, uh, a loved one or yourself, they have them ready to go in the uh, in the exact doses and the exact times that you need them. So, again, that's 662-236-2222. Podcast brought to you in part by Style Assembly, just off the square 
in Oxford. It's a women's boutique. It's next to Blind Pig right there. Easy to find, and they are ready for fall. They can help you ladies or the ladies in your life with your fall needs, no matter the budget, size, or occasion. Style Assembly is here to help you assemble your style. They pride themselves in customer service and effortless dressing to celebrate the Rebs. Great football season currently going on. They are offering big incentives to Rebel Grove subscribers, podcast listeners as well. From now through the end of November, you can enter to win a $250 gift certificate to shop at Style Assembly. All you have to do to enter, come into the store, tell one of the sales associates or ask for Kate, the owner, say, hey, I came to check out Style Assembly and what they have to offer. There's no purchase necessary. I just want to get to know you, help get to help you in the future with your styling or gifting needs. Also, with men, don't be intimidated. Come in, win the gift card for a loved one in your life. They carry a huge selection of good or sunglasses. Those are incredibly popular right now. So style, shopstyleassembly.com. You can get links to their social pages. Big Instagram following there. Again, just off the square, that's Style Assembly. And then last but certainly not least, Johnston Hill Creamery. That's on Molly, just off Molly Bar on White Oak Lane. They've got their cheese class coming up. That is a Halloween-themed cheese class. It's October 27th. Spots are limited, so uh, get online today to do that. There's tons of stuff through their website right now. They can shop JohnstonHillCreamery.com, whether it's tailgating packages for the Alabama and the Mississippi State game, whether it's ordering a charcuterie tray or a cheese tray, things they do locally and in-house every single day for showers. They even do weddings now. They do lots of different catering options. That's JohnstonHillCreamery.com. Go to the website, see all the different options to purchase right there online. Check it out today. Again, JohnstonHillCreamery. And you could get into some really weird calculus with the Pac-12 and yeah. the Big 12. I know we're going to throw them out in your scenario, but if you if I say no, okay, well, let's throw them back in. Yeah, let's let's make TCU a 12 and one Big 12 champ. Let's right. let's make USC, you know, as media darling as they are, a 12 and one Pac-12 champ, or Oregon, a 12 and one Pac-12 champ, and their only loss was in the first game of the season, basically at Georgia. Yeah. And then for kicks and giggles, let's let Georgia be the SEC champ. You're like, yeah. oh, why are we not going with Oregon? I, I just think it gets weird to where people are like, see, we should have gone to 12 a long time ago, damn it. You know, I mean, yeah. this, we could solve all this. And so I keep waiting for that year to happen. We just, it, it always works itself out, and it probably will this year too. But right. I, I, I would love the chaos because the, the stubbornness of sticking with four all these years deserves to get burned. Well, we still have, and I think we have this about every year, the upset you never saw coming. Like, you can't say Tennessee was an upset you never saw coming. I mean, that was a – a lot of people thought Tennessee was going to win that game, and they did. Um, so we still have yet to have the upset nobody saw coming, which is generally – it generally happens in November, and it generally takes takes out one of those teams where you don't have to worry about them anymore. Um, I don't know who it would be. I don't even know where to throw a dart at a dartboard and say, you know, this will be the upset you never saw coming. But they'll will – generally be one of those that that kneecaps the team and takes them right out of it it's just hard to see anybody doing it in the big 10 i know watch them and you're like well michigan and ohio state are so much better than everyone else they're you know like usually in a normal year you'd be like well maybe iowa maybe wisconsin but no maybe penn state no i mean you know penn state just got mauled against michigan you just throw it out and so maybe it's someone knocks off clemson where they can go okay we're not doing the acc that's out you know yeah all right maybe Maybe, maybe. Uh, by the way, biggest game in the Big Ten last week was Michigan State's overtime upset of Wisconsin, <laughs> as called uh, by me on this show and on my show. You did. Yeah. Credit where credit's due. I get, I get the Ryan Brown text on Saturday night 
and all I saw was the name, and I thought, oh, this is probably about Alabama, Tennessee or something. And I, and I opened it, and it's, it's bragging on Michigan State. And I'm like, you son of a. <laughs> you want this week's play? You want yeah, yeah, play? what's this week's play? I'm, I'm five and two on the year. All I do is pick teams that are favor that are dogs of a touchdown or more to win outright. Yeah. Memphis, Memphis at Tulane. Oh, wow. That would be yeah, mem- upset. Memphis minus seven at our Memphis plus seven at Tulane. Tulane uh, ranked for the first time in 24 years. They're in the top uh, 25, and I think it just seems like when that happens to teams, they are ripe for the upset. So uh, I like Memphis plus the seven at uh, at Tulane. I'm five and two on the year doing these types of games. There's your American Athletic Conference lock of, <laughs> lock of the year. Uh, yeah, the rest of the century of the year, of the year forever. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bud, I appreciate the time as always. Thank you. My good friend Matt Moscona in Baton Rouge, kind enough to uh, hop on with us here on the show, talk a little about Ole Miss and LSU, among other things. Uh, you can see him on uh, After Further Review, 104.5, ESPN Baton Rouge, ESPN Louisiana. He's got his uh, post-game show that I've got some questions about because I I really do. I have some technical questions, and I might do it right here if that's okay. Perfect. Matt, how are you? I'm awesome, Neil. Good to see you, man. Man, it's good seeing you, too. You're one of my favorite people in this deal. Um, all right, so first of all, you and T-Bob do this post-game show, and you do it from a loud bar, and I'm curious from an equipment – I'm totally serious from an equipment uh, standpoint because people love it. People either love it or they love to make fun of it, and I tell people all the time, if you're making fun of it, it means you're watching it, and if you're watching it, it means they, they're winning. Oh, yeah. So, so – what is the technical setup on that? Like, how do you how do you have that setup where a you, you have co- connectivity, and and b where you guys can hear? Uh, so it's set up like a radio remote with a camera. Um, but that show, which we call Whiskey and Wine, started six years ago with me and Jordy Collada. Jordy doesn't work with us anymore, so T Bob stepped into Jordy's role. Um, and the concept is it's basically like. We're, we're sitting at a bar, we are, I'm drinking whiskey, we are smoking cigars, and we're talking about the game. So, in the same way, and it, it is streamed, so we, there are no FCC regulations, so we can, you know, curse. Yeah. Um, and we do. <laughs> and you do. Yes. And we, and we, we do. Uh, T-Bob a little more gratuitously than I do, um, but that's the whole concept is just if you and your buddies were sitting at a bar talking about the game, having a drink, smoking a cigar, what would it sound like? That's what we do. Um, and it has been insanely successful. Uh, I think in many ways we have murdered traditional postgame. Like nobody cares about traditional postgame anymore. Uh, but our setup is easy, man. Like it's just it's basically a radio remote setup. We have headset mics. Uh, we have it's one it's a one camera shot. We have a, uh, a video mixer that allows us to put the graphics on the screen. But it is a very rudimentary setup relative to what you see nowadays. So is it a full soundboard or, or, or what? Are you just using um, like eCam or what do you what do you kind of? There's a little audio mixer that you, that we plug the two headsets in, and that's it. Okay. Super easy, man. We <laughs> do this. Easy. I mean, I'm, I've I've written about this and I've talked about this, so I'm not I'm not. No one's going to be like floored as they're listening or watching this. Um, we can't. We always did 
before the middle of 19, we always did post-game the same way, right? We both went to the game, and we wrote, and we did this little film thing called instant analysis, and we stood there and talked awkwardly on the field. And, you know, sometimes the lawnmower, and they start mowing the field. You know how it is. When they start mowing the field, it's like, hey, the game's over. I've got to mow the field right now. And they start, and it's loud as hell. And you're just like, this doesn't really work. And then middle of 19 – um, we started doing a post-game show here instead of covering the game. And a lot of that was because the team wasn't good and we're like, let's try something different. And we weren't going on the road. The first time we did it was almost played at Missouri. And I was like, I don't want to go all the way to Missouri. Nah, it's on TV. We'll figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so we did that. And then obviously the 2020 season happened with COVID and all that. And so we're doing live streams all day and all this stuff. And then last year rolled around and my plan was to go back to the games. And then I don't remember which variant supposedly hit or whatever. And they shut everything kind of down again and put everybody on zoom or whatever. And so we said, well, let's just run it back. And we did that again, but we started getting people going, Hey, your written content sucks. (laughs) And, And I was like, well, you know, it does. Um, it's hard to do a four-hour post-game show and write at the same time. And I was literally writing. I was writing a column that the minute the game was over, I might publish, whatever it was. You know, and you're like, please, somebody blow somebody out so we can do this quickly. And uh, and then this year, I've been going back to the games. I've gone to every game. I didn't go to uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech because I went to see my girls at their um, – they had Kyo Dad's weekend up at Arkansas, and so I went to Fayetteville that weekend. But other than that, I've been going to the games. Chase has been hosting a post-game show. And people are generally happy. But I think <laughs> a lot of people want the post-game show. But I, I'm like, if we're ever going to do the post-game show, we've got to figure out a different venue to do it to make it a little more lively. And I watch y- y'all's deal, and I'm always thinking, what is their equipment set up? That's about, everybody else is talking about, all the they're they're yelling at each other or whatever. I'm like I'm just curious about the equipment. That's the main. Yeah, no, I think ultimately what we've look at us right now. I'm using wired headphones uh, and and my and my iPhone right now to do this. I think generally if people can see and hear clearly. They're okay with with. I think we as broadcasters tend to tend to complicate the. Uh, well, it has to be this full studio sound. It's just not always the way it goes, but um, especially especially in 2022, where everybody everybody is is really a media company now. That's a great point. All right, so I know how this works. I started getting this buzz from people uh, a couple of days ago. They're like, "Can you believe Matt Muscona?" I'm like, "I know what what did Matt do? <laughs> he guaranteed an LSU win." I'm like, "Well." Okay, number one, okay, that's good radio. Um, <laughs> number two, <laughs> you can, I'm always like, have you ever done a radio show? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, if you've done a radio show, you'd understand that two things. One, you have to be entertaining. And two, you have to have opinions. Yes. Otherwise, you're just NPR. And, and there's a place for NPR. There, there is. There's a place for NPR, but it's not in sports talk. And uh, – <laughs> So I went and listened to it. I'm like, well, he didn't really guarantee it. He just sort of predicted it in a all right in a in a bombastic <laughs> fashion. But you uh, you like LSU a lot on Saturday. Um, I do. Tell me why. Yeah, and I mean, you've known me long enough to know that I'm not the I'm not the Homer Rara guy. Um, I picked against LSU against Tennessee. I picked against LSU against Florida. Um, I think old. I think LSU's been punched in the mouth, and Ole Miss hasn't. And I think uh, if this game were in Oxford, 
I'd probably pick Ole Miss, but I think um, Ole Miss, a lot of people I think are overvaluing Ole Miss right now because of the number next to their name. And they are worthy of being ranked seventh because they haven't lost. There are only yeah. nine undefeated teams in college football right now. Yeah. So they are, they are worthy of that ranking because they haven't lost. Um, I think if, let's say, hypothetically, Will Levis doesn't fumble in the red zone twice and Kentucky manages to win that game, we're having a very different conversation about Ole Miss. Then we're saying, well, it was Troy and Central Arkansas and Tulsa and Georgia Tech fired their coach. And uh, it, it's kind of what it is, Vanderbilt. Um, and I, I, I'm just not letting the, the ranking next to the name fool me, uh, because back in media days in July, we had these conversations about Ole Miss. We had these conversations about Ole Miss literally being favored in their first seven games and coming to Baton Rouge undefeated, which is what I expected. The thing about Ole Miss that concerns me from, I mean, if I'm from the Ole Miss perspective is there's these long lulls. I mean, yeah. the whole first half, it's you're down. Ole Miss is down twenty to ten to Vanderbilt. Um, the Troy game was was a, a long. long I'm, I'm, what's the? I'm missing one, one other. Um, well, there was the there was the whole second half of the Troy game. There was the Troy uh, th- three points, three points in the second half against Kentucky. Yeah, the, three points. The Kentucky game was was a weird game. Um, looking back on it, Tulsa. Yeah, Tulsa was weird. I, I, I throw Tulsa out in large part because the game was so clearly, if you were there, right, You, you, and, and obviously the players are there. And if you're there, you can tell very quickly they can't play with us. Yeah, maybe they're going to do some stuff, but th- there's no way they're going to win. And then it was so freaking hot at 3 o'clock that day <laughs> that you just I, – I sometimes go – and then Kentucky was coming up, right? They knew Kentucky was rolling in the next mm-hmm. week, and that was a big deal. Yeah. And, and they're not football robots. They're just people. And so I, yeah. I, I threw Tulsa out. Like, I, okay. I threw nothing I good, nothing bad. But uh, the first half of Vanderbilt even, I go, well, see, here's, here's where I think you're, you're on to something. And, and, and people ask me all the time, Matt, and I don't, I don't want to do most of the talking. I want you to do the talking because no, you're, you're the guest on the show. But I'm, I'm trying to set something up. People ask me all the time, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. Ole Miss has been given an assignment. And to this point, they've, they've done it. They've done everything they've been assigned to do. It's not their fault that their schedule is the way that it is. Uh, they've been, hey, we're going to get you to open with Kentucky at home. We're going to send you to Vanderbilt. We're going to bring Auburn there. Okay, that's your assignment. It's not their fault that Auburn is chaos, right? It's not their fault. Uh, they've done everything they've been asked to do, but you, you know as you take this test that the hard questions are coming up later. Like the, sure. the, the hard essay questions are coming, and I don't know how prepared they are or aren't. Like I, I literally said, I wrote this this morning, this team, if you told me today this team goes 12-0, and 0, am I surprised? Yes. Am I stunned? No, because I've watched the rest of the league. On the flip side, if you said this team goes seven and five, are you surprised? Yeah, I'm surprised. Am I stunned? No, because the league's just this maybe even including Alabama, this league is just kind of like whatever, and it depends on health and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I look back at when when Ole Miss jumped up on Auburn twenty one to nothing, basically on the second play of the second quarter. I was like, oh man, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this team is a legit juggernaut and then they let Auburn back in it 
and they ultimately won. They finished them. They scored touch. They they won by two two scores. Basically, the line was fourteen and a half. They won by fourteen. You know, Vegas was on it, as is typically the case. It's I don't as they go to LSU, and it's a game where Vegas has LSU favored by a point point and a half, which basically means hey, we're giving them a couple of points for home field. This is pretty yeah. even. Vegas is basically saying flip a coin, and I kind of feel it's a coin flip game. I don't know what to expect, but I get what you're saying about LSU's been through more adversity than, than Ole Miss has. They've played certainly a tougher schedule when you factor in they played Tennessee at home. Um, Ole Miss hasn't played those games, and I don't know how Ole Miss responds if they get punched in the teeth. Yeah, and it's it's not only that LSU has played a tougher schedule, because let's be clear, Deal. I mean, Tennessee came in here and whipped LSU. Yes, they did. Like LSU has serious shortcomings like this is not a i keep some lsu fans are asking me hey man what if what if what if they run the table they control their destiny in the west i'm like stop (laughs) it's like it ain't that yet like enjoy the process of building back to respectability and then hopefully dominance in a championship level again but that's not where this team is um this is still a team that's got a secondary entirely made up of transfers a secondary that has a former walk-on starting at running back. I mean, a, a team with a former wa- a team that's starting two true freshmen at tackle, a, a transfer quarterback. Like they got they got issues. They got issues. Sure. What we know about LSU is that unlike last year, when LSU went to Oxford, they quit. They quit. Ole Miss popped them, and Ole Miss was way better. And LSU quit. And LSU quit last year against Kentucky, and they did not play hard for their coach, and it was over. Um, this team is wholly bought in and they have found themselves down in every game against power five teams. They were down double digits to Florida state. They were down 17, nothing at Auburn. They were down 13, nothing at home against Mississippi state. They were down seven, nothing after two plays against Florida last week. And every time they responded, uh, this team plays hard. They play for four quarters and they have been better as the game goes along. And they, they have dominated fourth quarters, quite honestly, which is why I think at home against Ole Miss, uh, LSU will win the fourth quarter and ultimately win the game because that's what they've done and I've seen them do already this year and I don't think there's a situation that presents where they will be uncomfortable and because Ole Miss has shown these long lulls I think that will come I think Ole Miss will lead early in the game Neil. I think Ole Miss is going to get up early you know because we've seen this is what we've seen from LSU literally every game they played except you know southern and New Mexico that's what happens it just takes them a while to kind of get their their footing get going and once they do you you see them rebound and play really well down the stretch you know one of the things that's interesting about this game is i think these two coaches are uh, have have track records kelly's is certainly longer than kiffin's but i think if you look at them they both have teams that typically get better as the year goes on um, kelly has always done that and if you look at lane's teams they get better as the year goes on. He figures out what they do, and they focus in on it. And that's one of the things that kind of makes it interesting is that you're right. So it makes me wonder, and I say that to get to this. LSU played Tennessee two weeks ago in Baton Rouge. LSU got down early and just never really got into any flow at all in that game. And and Tennessee might be really, really good. We saw what Tennessee did a week later against Alabama. Then LSU goes to Florida. They look a lot better offensively. They look like they found something. Yet I'm wondering, and you watch every play, I'm wondering how much you wonder, was the Tennessee game a byproduct of Tennessee being really good? And was the Florida game a byproduct of Florida being really bad? Florida 3-11 and in the last 14 SEC games. Yeah. 
we as a media have to stop talking about Florida in these flowery terms. They've sucked for a while. Um, yeah, they had a ways to go. Is it possible that LSU is just kind of what LSU is, and they played an extreme and an extreme, and, and they're in the middle, or, or did they find something in Gainesville? So they might have found something. I'll get to that in a second. But back to Tennessee, um, it, it, the the matchup that will give LSU's defense the biggest problem is if a team has dynamic wide receivers. Yeah. And when you look at Brew McCoy and Jalen Hyatt, they didn't even have Cedric Tillman. Like LSU, LSU's corners couldn't cover those receivers. And so if you had to give help in the secondary – then you couldn't stop the run. And it made LSU completely vulnerable. Florida didn't have dynamic receivers. Auburn doesn't have dynamic receivers. Mississippi State, although they like to throw the ball, doesn't have dynamic receivers. Jonathan Mingo might be. had a good game against Vanderbilt, obviously. Um, I don't know that I... You tell me if you disagree. Would you put him in that category of of Brew McCoy, of Jalen Hyatt, of game-breaking receivers like that? Probably not. He's got a chance to kind of be close to it. Uh, there are times that Malik Heath on the other side, the Mississippi State transfer, looks that part. They brought Jalen Robinson in from UCF expecting him to be that guy, and he has not. Yeah. At all. Look, I remember Heath playing at State, and he, I think Heath's a good player. But what LSU has done at corner is they brought in Jark Bernard Converse, who was all Big 12. He's a Louisiana kid who went to Oklahoma State, was all Big 12. He started 50 games in his career. Very, very experienced. But, but Neil, he's not. He's not Derek Stingley. He's not Elias Ricks. He's not, you know, Cordell Flott. Or I mean, we we look at at you look at LSU over the years, and part of the reason that the defense has worked is because LSU has earned their reputation as DBU. They've had all these top t- Patrick Peterson and Tredavious White. I mean, dudes have the first round picks that are NFL studs. Yes, absolutely. And and you could say. I think my guy's better than your guy on the outside, so we're not going to let you run the ball because I know my guys are going to win on an island. This team can't do that. So so to the point, when they play Tennessee, that's where they got exposed. Um, I don't know if Ole Miss can do that. Maybe they can. But I think LSU is athletic enough in the defensive front to run sideline to sideline and not stop but limit Ole Miss's running game, which is dynamic and awesome. And look, I know all, I mean, look, Judkins has been sensational. Jackson Dart running the ball is athletic. I get it. Um, you know, Evans is, was, I mean, everybody remembers. Kid was a five-star. It was awesome. I mean, I, I get the talent. I do. And I'm not saying that Ole Miss isn't going to score. Um, I just don't know that Ole Miss is going to run for 400 yards against LSU. I get what you're saying. I don't think they will. Lane kind of hinted at that on Monday where he said, you know, just because something works one week, it doesn't mean it works the next week. If you just keep rolling out the same game plan every week, the other team's scout or the other team's coach too. And if you keep doing that, you're not going to last long. You've got to be creative. And look, for Ole Miss, like at some point in this season, and I think we're here, like I think Saturday's a litmus test kind of game because at some point, a team like LSU, who, like you said, has issues. Um, LSU, has, in the past, sometimes had defenses where it just didn't matter what you did. That yeah. You weren't going to get much. Um, LSU's probably going to say, hey, we're going to gamble that these receivers are not studs. We're going to get hurt a little bit. We're going to get burned some, but we're not gonna, they're not going to kill us. And we're going to take away as much as we can to run and put the game in Dart's hands and if he beats us with the receivers, if they end up running all over the field, we tip our hat and go, hey, kudos, good luck the rest of the way. We don't think he can. I, that's what I expect. And at some point, I think a team's going to effectively do that. And 
that's where we're going to find out either Dart can or can't. Yeah. And I, and I think, and I don't know the answer, right? I mean, I, I don't know whether Dart can or can't go win a game with his with his arm. Maybe he yeah. can. Remember, Matt House, LSU's defensive coordinator, also spent three years as the DC at Kentucky. Um, it, it was the year they had um, uh, Josh Allen, the defensive end, who had like 20, 21 sacks that year. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Um, so he's pretty good at utilizing guys like B.J. Ojolari on the edge to create pressure. they got a freshman linebacker named Harold Perkins, who y'all are going to see, wears number 40, and he's a stud. He's all over the field. Uh, and I don't normally say that about freshmen, but he's he's that dude. He's He is better as a freshman than Devin White was as a freshman by a mile. Um, I might say he's, he's a – I'm not saying he's going to be Devin White. I'm telling you as a freshman he's a better player by a mile. Um, but, but the other part of your earlier question – sorry, I ramble sometimes. Radio guy. Um, you asked that you know, did LSU find anything against Florida? What they found was their passing game, and and Neil, they're like this isn't even debatable. The deepest, most talented group on LSU's team is their receivers. There, there is no argument to the contrary. They're they're not only good players; they have great players that are going to be pros, and they roll them through there, and they are good, really good. Um. The problem to this point in the season has been utilizing them because Jaden Daniels has been so cautious with the football so as not to turn it over. He hadn't taken shots. He hadn't thrown 50-50 balls. He hadn't given his receivers a chance to get involved. He'd rather feel pressure, tuck it, and run because he's a dynamic runner, and he can't hurt you with his feet. Uh, and I think he, Jaden Daniels will finish the season as LSU's leading rusher. The quarterback will. But what, what he finally started to do against Florida was, was just put the ball in the air. And his receivers rewarded him. Now, you don't win every 50-50 ball, but in college football, when you have dynamic receivers, more often than not, you're either going to come down with a catch or, or a penalty flag is going to be thrown if you get a DB to panic. And I think having the success they did against Florida, where he threw for 350 and three touchdowns, should carry over. Because he, was, he put the ball into harm's way for the first time this year and said, oh, okay, this can actually work. And LSU's receivers are that good. So... But, That's where I think they will be able to carry it forward. And this is where one of the another place where it's litmus test, right? Ole Miss has these two corners that they love: Davis and Igbenosin, the freshman, um, uh, DeAndre Prince, who's kind of had a bit of a roller coaster career, but has played great so far this season. And people really haven't tested them on the outside. And it's I don't know what I haven't known whether that's because people didn't have the goods to go test them. I mean, Auburn is not wide receiver U, certainly not this year. Uh, Kentucky had some receivers, but Really, they they hurt Ole Miss with the slot guy a little bit with some stuff. That kid can fly. Barry uh, Brown, mm-hmm. it can run. Uh, but they haven't tested him on the outside with big receivers like going up against Igbenos and going against Prince. And obviously, for LSU to win the game, they probably have to do some of that. And so we'll get to see our uh, Ole Miss's corners as good as they think they are. And if they are, well, suddenly the ceiling for this team is really high. And if they're not, then some stuff gets exposed. It's one of, I, I look forward to it. It's, it's, it's fascinating in, in so many ways. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I wish it was a night game. Uh, it'd be a lot more fun. It's It, it has... Uh, sort of the makings of that the 2014 vibe, which was that that 10 to seven game, which was not very aesthetically pleasing, but was a really hard fought game. Ole Miss obviously was was a top 10 team at the time, and LSU won it. Um, if LSU wins this game, by the way, Neil, I do want to go on the record. If LSU wins this game and and they storm the field, I will be hor- I'll be horrified. The fact that in 2022, like LSU stormed the field against Georgia in 2018, uh, they did against Ole Miss in 2014, like. By this point, like you've won three natties in the last, you know, two decades. You played for a fourth. You had, I think, the greatest college football season ever in 2019. You don't need to be run on the field, right? Tennessee hadn't been ranked in 15 years. I get it. They beat Alabama. Been talked about? Like, we have not talked about it. Okay. You got a feeling? I think you and I probably see eye to eye on this. Yeah, no, I'm I'm surprised that's even an option down there that people would think, hey, right. charge the field. I mean, you you're not that far removed from what I think is the greatest team in the history of of college football. And I mean, yes, throw 2020 out because 2020 was just whatever. Yeah, 2021 was a disaster. You've moved on. You're in a first year with the new coach. It's not like it's not like LSU has gone cratered. And the, <laughs> like like Tennessee the other day, like I don't think the SEC should have fined them. I, I, yeah. I mean, I know they had to, but if I'd been them, I'd have sent a little PS that goes, "Hey, not for public disclosure, but not really." Yeah. Tennessee has been down for so long, you could feel the catharsis coming oh, yeah. out, right? I mean, the scene of the blimp above Newland Stadium with the fireworks going off and the people rushing and the field just becoming the sea of orange was a everything great about college football and b i get it yeah you were once great you were not great for two decades and now at least for a moment in time you were great again and it was awesome and i mean i'm not a tennessee fan whatever 
but I was happy for him. I mean, I know they're obnoxious as hell and all that stuff. I get it. I get it. Whatever. <laughs> all fans are obnoxious. But for a moment there, it was just really cool. And I always make, I always refer to my mythical guy in Dubuque, Iowa, who's sitting there watching TV with a beer and some popcorn. I mean, he watched that and was like, hey, honey, come see this. This is pretty cool. Yeah. Come exactly. see. This is awesome. And that, we don't get a lot of those moments, right? And so when you get them, you're like, that's really cool. I don't think if LSU were to beat Ole Miss, that's one of those moments. No, not at all. Uh, there aren't Those moments don't exist in this program right now, but sometimes kids just want to run on the field, so I hope they don't. But you're right about Tennessee. About Tennessee. That was um, that. so seldom does the substance live up to the hype. I mean, we, it, that's true in every sport. We'll, we'll build up these big events, and just so seldom does it actually live up to it. And that did. And that was very, very cool to see. It was, it was a really fun thing to watch. So both of these teams, Ole Miss and LSU, whoever wins wakes up Sunday controlling their own destiny. Still a lot of football to go and all that. But they both get Alabama at home. And Alabama has not looked like Alabama away from home. And it's been more than once. Mm-hmm. You've watched Alabama a lot. You've been involved in that rivalry. You, you, Saban was in Baton Rouge, etc. When you watch Alabama right now, do you see fallible, or do you see all oh, they're going to put it together and they're going to go run over everybody? And we know how this book ends. Um, all right. So, if I remind you, a year ago, Alabama did lose to A and M. Alabama should have lost to Auburn. Like if Tank Bigsby just falls down inbounds so, the game is over mm-hmm. they kneel they kneel and it is over but he went out of bounds gave him a shot and we know what happened lsu had a chance to beat alabama last year lsu was a disaster lsu allowed single digit rushing yards to alabama last year that great alabama offense so i think a lot of it is if bama doesn't play their best a lot of teams have caught up to a degree to where if you let your guard down you get popped but I will put it to you this way, Neil. Tennessee last week scored 52 points. Yeah. Alabama committed a record number of number of penalties in a game, right? Yeah. Isn't that right? It was 17. It was the right. most ever committed in a game by an Alabama football in the history of their program. The 52 points allowed is the most allowed by an Alabama team since 1908. It's literally been more than 100 years since Alabama allowed that many points in a game. There were 105,000 people there at a freaking fever pitch for four hours, maybe four and a half because it was CBS. <laughs> and Tennessee needed a knuckleball field goal at the gun to win it. Yeah. Like, bro, <laughs> it ain't it's, like you ran them out the building. No. I mean, I, look, I feel badly for Tennessee fans because this is going to end in an inevitable <laughs> way, Neil. Like, you know, you know where this is going. Yeah. Like, if Tennessee wins out, let's say they, they go to Athens and beat George, they go to the SC Championship game, guess who's waiting on them? Bama. And it ain't going to go good for Tennessee the second time. Or let's say, hypothetically, Tennessee loses to Georgia. They're a one-loss team. And then Georgia goes and loses to Bama. Well, you know, maybe you put Tennessee into the, pl- into the playoff. As you know, a, a one-loss team, maybe, and then you're going to play Bama in the playoff, and you're going to lose. <laughs> so either way, this ends badly for Tennessee with a with a loss to Bama, either in Atlanta or in the SEC championship. Now, maybe Georgia beats Tennessee, 
or Tennessee beats Georgia, and then Georgia ends up, Georgia and Tennessee end up in the in the uh, in the playoff. But overwhelmingly, my feeling is Tennessee's going to play Bama again. They're going to lose, and it's going to be devastating to them. So you don't think either Ole Miss or LSU beats Alabama? No, 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 no. No, I don't think anybody else beating Alabama the rest of the way. Um, I think. I think Bama is still a very good team. They're still the best coach team, and they lock in after a loss, and just like they did a year ago. And I think, I, I, yes, I think Alabama will run the table. They'll get to, to Atlanta, and we'll see who they played, Georgia or Tennessee. It's so funny. I got a mailbag question this week about, you know, what, what does the country want to see? Does the country want new blood? Does the country want to see, you know, Tennessee, Ole Miss, and Atlanta, or do they want to see another Alabama-Georgia game? And I, d- I didn't know the answer to that. I'm like, it's probably kind of torn, you know, a little bit. Some people want the new stuff, and some people want the Battle of the Goliaths again yeah. and again and again. Tennessee may, may be that, though, and that's the interesting question. Like, if Tennessee is, in fact, if they continue ascending over the next six weeks, then maybe they are that, and that will be an interesting storyline to watch. I, I don't know that they are. I think defensively they have some serious flaws, um, but offensively, man, they are fun to watch, and it feels like they can score on anybody. But you know, LSU and Ole Miss, no, I, I think Ole Miss ends up either a nine and three or eight and four football team. Um, that, that's why you know, I think the the clip where a lot, maybe a lot of Ole Miss fans think I like, I like guaranteeing a win. I'm just picking LSU. I think I think LSU is going to win the game, and I'll say yeah. it demonstrably. Yeah. Um, but I, um, I'm not waffling. It's just I just think LSU going to win the game. Yeah. But. I, I, I answer everybody's question. I'm at the same moment. I say, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not, it's a terrible radio opinion, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't. Would I bet on this game? I would not. Yeah. Uh, well, not I would. Real money. Why. There's, there's an old angle as well um, that I, that a, a sports handicapper I know uses, and it's any time an unranked team is favored against a ranked team, blind bet the unranked team every time. Um, and it hits like 85% of the time. Oh, wow. So um, that's, you know, so there, there is, I think there is value in there. But um, anyway, I, look, I, um, I I think what, I, you know, what I said in that clip is I think Ole Miss is a top 25 team. And I think when you look at the end of the season, they'll probably be a nine and three or eight and 14. They'll be ranked. If yeah. you win the bowl game, you get to 10 and three, then yeah, you're a top, you're hovering around the top 10 and, that's a great season, man. That's I think for Ole Miss, what that does is it validates the Sugar Bowl a year ago, especially without Matt Corral, who many people think is the best quarterback not named Manning to ever play at that school. And I'll tell you, Neil, I thought for sure if Corral didn't get hurt, and I still believe this, if he didn't get hurt against Baylor, I think Ole Miss wins that game. So, I mean, I like the guy that much. I thought it was that much of a difference maker. So, um, you know, I don't... I, whether Ole Miss wins or loses this game, or whatever they're 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 they, however they finish this season, I think as a program you're looking at man, look at where you were, oh. look at where you are, Neil. Neil, the day I don't want to take up like all your time, but the day that it looked like Lane was going to get hired, you remember this? You texted me. I was in I was in Atlanta, and you were looking for opinions. You were I guess you were get, doing a piece where you're gathering opinions on yeah. from people around the league on on hiring. I was like, that's the um definitely afraid of it as an LSU guy it's it's the higher Ole Miss needs he's a creative offensive guy he will bring attention and, and an exciting brand to to Ole Miss and he will elevate that program and three years later been to a sugar bowl and staring down another potential double double digit win season 
I said it for three years that they should hire him. Um, I was the idiot that the day that they promoted Matt Luke from interim to full-time, I said, you should hire Lane Kiffin. I mean, I, it was probably not the smartest thing I've ever done, but it was one of, <laughs> it was one of the more accurate things I've ever done. I, I always thought, I thought Kiffin was a great fit at Ole Miss. Uh, I thought he kind of, with the whole getting super dressed and all the stuff that he does, I thought that was a real fit at Ole Miss. I, I didn't realize he would be this much of a fit because he's like perfect. It's like glove in hand to the point that I think he's starting to see it and he's starting to go, you know, maybe. Um, but you're right. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think this game is a litmus test on his program at all. His team, sure. Program, no. And I'm not, look, before the year, I said eight and four. That's what I picked. I still. I, I, I'd still go – I'd probably up it to nine and three now based on just external stuff, but I think they're in great shape as a program. Leads me to my question about Brian Kelly. And everybody made fun of the dancing thing on the turntable, and it was pretty creepy looking. But now that <laughs> <laughs> now that he's <laughs> now that he's been there a minute uh, and he's had a chance to recruit and get started, what kind of fit is Brian Kelly in Baton Rouge? So, I mean – Everyone asks about the fit, and, and part of me gets it, but part of me just thinks the rest of the world looks at Louisiana like we ride alligators to work and only eat sauce pecan. And, like, it's it's not – I mean, culturally, there are things here that are different. But what I've pointed out to everyone who has asked me this question, the winningest coaches in the history of LSU athletics, Skip Erdman, greatest college baseball coach ever, a Jewish guy from Miami. Yeah. Dale Brown retired as the second winningest coach in SEC basketball history behind only Adolf Rupp from Minot, North Dakota. That ain't Louisiana. <laughs> Not even a little. And Nick Saban, who is from West Virginia, spent his entire career in the Midwest. Like, you don't have to spell your name with E-A-U-X to win here. <laughs> you just have to win here. Yeah. And Brian Kelly's won everywhere he's been. Now I'll tell you this. I my pers- I didn't know Brian Kelly at all before he got the job. I mean, I obviously know who he was, but I can't tell you I'd ever interviewed him, spoken to him, knew very little other than surface. And my perception of him was always like the red face yelling guy on the sideline, cold, hard, northeast, Boston, Midwest, all that stuff. He has been the complete opposite here. Um, he has been likable and affable and he tells jokes in his press conferences. I mean, they're bad jokes, but he, but he, he's trying, um, like he, he comes, I mean, Neil, when you can appreciate this, he comes to a place that for the last almost 20 years, it's been less miles than Ed Ogeron, less God bless. I mean, won a lot of games, but as idiosyncratic as they come, from everything to wearing the hat high and chewing on the grass to how he spoke and the weird syntax and the clock management and on and on and on. And Ed Ogeron was a great recruiter and a giant ball of energy, but my goodness, um, what a disaster. And then here comes this guy that's been a head coach for 32 years who's polished and has a plan and is detail-oriented and can communicate and has hired a great staff and can recruit. And you go, oh, my God, this is like when Nick came here in 2000. And it's what it feels like. It feels like a guy that has a plan, that knows what resources he needs, that will be able to maximize them. And if 
Bless Miles and Ed Ogeron win championships here. I have no reason to believe Brian Kelly won't be able to do the same because he'll get players from the state to come here and they will win and they will win at a very high level. So um, I I think he's fit in great, especially because they're winning football games. Yeah, I've told people at the beginning of the year when they lost to Florida State and everybody was like, ha ha, I'm like, stop, 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 stop. It's first year. He's always won. This is his worst team. Stop. And I still think that. I mean, no matter what happens on Saturday, I still think that. I, people win there. Ed Ogeron put together the best team in the history of college football. Say that again slowly. <laughs> you think that is Ed Ogeron. I mean, that, oh, that team overcame Ed Ogeron. Like, how the hell good is that team if Lane Kiffin's coaching it? Yeah. You know, and you could also look to what's going on in Notre Dame right now. Three and three under Marcus Freeman. They lost to Marshall. They just lost to Stanford, whose only win had been against Colgate. Um, coaching at a big program is hard. It's it's hard to win, um, and he's done it a lot. And I think I think he will here. You know, and listen, I was the loudest detractor when Ed Ogeron was hired. I mean, there was nobody who screamed it louder. And then, and professionally, I paid a price for it. I bet there are a lot of people here who still don't like me. Uh, because of that, there are a lot of people in the tall building next to next to Tiger Stadium that that don't like me as a result of it. Still, uh, no, I think it's better now. Okay. Uh, getting Joe Ali- firing Joe Oliva was a big deal, um, but um, but my point is like if I thought Brian Kelly was going to fail here, I'd tell you I think he's going to fail here, uh, and I don't think he's going to fail. I think he's going to win and win big. Uh, how how long will it take? I don't know. But it's got a ten year contract, <laughs> and then ninety percent of it's guaranteed. Neil. So they ain't firing him anytime soon. It ain't like if he has a few rocky years, he's on the hot seat. Uh, Brian Kelly and Ed Ogeron, for better or worse, are tied to each other for the next decade. For better or worse, they, he is going nowhere. He is the guy here for a long time. Last thing, what's the atmosphere going to be like Saturday afternoon? Pretty crazy? Like, or is it- yeah, I think it's going to be good. I mean, not, look, people here live for night games. It's just it's the thing, right? De- nighttime and Death Valley and all that stuff. And, and it's great when it is. Um but, man, they packed it out for the Tennessee game at 11 a.m. Now, they weren't rewarded with a good product, but it'll be packed. I mean, it's Ole Miss still. There's people who love this game. They love this rivalry. It's a decades-long thing. Um, I don't think people really care about the Magnolia Bowl trophy or whatever that the thing is. you know. But I, but the game itself, you get a top-10 team coming in. It's going to be a beautiful day in Baton Rouge. Yeah, man, atmosphere is going to be great. It, it's a uh, coming off a big win against Florida. It's It's going to be a great atmosphere Saturday. Yeah, that trophy looks like it got made in a shop class. Didn't it break? The first one. Am I making that up? No, the first one broke, and so they made they made another one, and I can't decide which one's worse. Like they're both <laughs> awful. <laughs> How do Ole Miss fans feel about it? About the trophy? Yeah. Oh, they make fun of it. I mean. Okay. Good. 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 I mean, it's look. They love the rivalry. Ole Miss fans get yes, of course. Ole Miss fans get irritated that. Uh, you froze on me for a minute. There you go. You're back. Um, Ole Miss fans get irritated that they won't wear their traditional uniforms more in this game because I think Ole Miss likes – a lot of the traditional Ole Miss fans like the the contrast in these two uniforms, like when they play each other, you know, because they do kind of pop against yeah. each other. But um, other than that, I mean, they like the – look, they want, they want to be a rival with LSU. If, if Ole Miss is a rival with LSU, for the most part, that means that they're winning. If LSU yes. takes Ole Miss seriously, if beating Ole Miss is a big deal at, at LSU, 
typically, not always, but typically it means that Ole Miss is winning. That yeah. if, if, if that game's meaningful, if LSU's running around with the trophy as bad as it looks, that means that they care, right? I mean, when I, I can remember covering an LSU-Arkansas game a few years ago when I was in Mobile, and someone, LSU was winning the game, and someone on the sideline was like, hey, we, don't we need to get the boot thing? And they were like, we don't know where it is. This is yeah. fourth quarter of game day. Right. And I, I want to say it was Michael Burnett, but I'm not positive. So, Michael, if you happen to hear this and you're like, no, it wasn't me, I, I'm admitting that it, it's been a minute. But I think he was like, someone go find it. <laughs> we, 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 go find it. And you could tell the kid was like, yeah, but we're winning. We just keep, can't we just keep it where it is? And he was like, no, no, go find it. We, we yeah. probably need to parade it around or whatnot. And they found it like in an equipment closet off the LSU locker room in there. And I mean, clearly <laughs> had not been polished or anything, right? And, and you could tell whoever it was was like, thank God the sun's out. It's kind of shining on it or whatever. Because <laughs> what, I mean, it was like a 2.30 game or whatever. And, and it was just funny, you know, I mean, but now, I mean, you, you want, and oh, there were times when Ole Miss was probably that way. We're like, oh, let's bring out the Magnolia thingy and run it around. But now it means something because they, yeah. you know, they, they've lost it and, um, you know, all that stuff. It, and, and Kiffin's got, Ole Miss is 18 and three in their last 21 games. They're winning, you know, and so it, it means something. So, yeah, I mean, that's a really long-winded answer. Ole Miss people want that game to matter because it needs to yeah. matter. If the, if the biggest game on Ole Miss's schedule is the Egg Bowl, you're, you failed. You're not na- yeah. you're not national. You're just a team. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, the um, uh, I always say that LSU because you have to go through Bama and Auburn and now A and M and Florida's you know the permanent like you need the Mississippi schools to be to be layups, um, for schedule equity, right? Sure. Um, you need Mississippi State to be Mississippi State. You need to be able to beat Ole Miss. Um, but yeah, I mean when but there's a lot of people here. And some of it's generational that love this rivalry and they go to hell Ole Miss and all this stuff. And they'll, they'll talk about Billy Cannon and Archie Manning and you know, the night the clock stopped and all that stuff. And, um, and it is a lot of fun. I do agree with the uniforms too. And a lot of LSU fans don't like when I say this, but I think Ole Miss, I think I've told you and Chase this before. Ole Miss has, in my opinion, the best uniform combo in college football, but they don't wear it enough. And it's the powder blue helmet, the red Jersey, the gray pants. That is absolutely perfect and the fact that they don't wear that enough like whatever that thing is they did with the camo earlier this year ditch it like the powder blue jerseys i get it i get it i get it i get it it was like a guy who graduated there put on a race car or something i whatever but like you have something that looks so good do the thing that looks really good but but yes but to arkansas the game you're talking about was 2011 and that was the lsu team that went undefeated and then lost to bama in the championship game after they beat them um and LSU beats Arkansas, and they literally left the boot on the field, just in the end zone, just sitting on the f- They went to the locker room to celebrate, and nobody took the trophy. It just doesn't matter here. Like, it matters a lot to Arkansas people. Nobody here cares about that game. Yeah. Ole, Miss, uh, Ole Miss always will always matter to, to a large segment of this LSU fan base because of the history. Yeah, the only way that game is ever going to matter to LSU is if Arkansas wins it seven, eight, nine years in a row. Suddenly, yes. suddenly they'll care, and at that point, LSU will care about a whole lot more than the, the they'll be they'll be living yeah. fit to be tied. Hey, I've, yes. kept you, uh, I've kept you way too long. I appreciate uh, all of your time, as always. Look forward to hopefully seeing you in Baton Rouge, and um, appreciate all the time you gave us. My pleasure, ma'am. See you soon.
That's Matt Moscona. You can catch his post game show, uh, whiskey and whiskey and wine, right? Whiskey and wine. Whiskey and wine on, on their YouTube <laughs> channel. And you'll know that I'm watching. Going, okay, let me. Where, where's the box? As, <laughs> all right, buddy. We good. Ben Mintz, Barstool Sports, kind enough to spend another week with us as he always does. Appreciate Ben so much for making us a uh, a part of his week. I say thanks to you guys for making us a part of your week. Ben makes us a part of his week. Ben, how are you? I'm doing great. Look, it feels mutual. I love coming on this podcast. I get more feedback than you can imagine about my weekly segment on here. And so, look, as long as you keep having me, I'm going to keep doing it. And you know, kind of, kind of fell off the rails a little bit last Saturday, but I was due for that. Uh, every year, it's a funny thing in gambling, but I always have one Saturday in October. And I never know when it's going to be, but I have one where I just get completely thrown to the mat. That's what happened last Saturday. But we had a good Sunday. The NFL picks been good, and you know, it's a new week. Yeah, so, you, uh, you, had, you had some good NFL picks. All right, let's get into the college games. We're going to get to Ole Miss and LSU in a minute. We'll, we'll touch on some other ones first. Get kind of warmed up because I think both of us are. Both of us feel weird about this Ole Miss LSU game, so we'll get to it in a minute. Got Syracuse and Clemson, this big ACC game. Syracuse getting 13 and a half points at Clemson. I don't know, Ben. To me, it feels like this is where the glass slipper falls off Syracuse's foot. That's what I feel. I don't see how Syracuse can score in this game. Like, I've watched them play on offense. They're bad on offense. Their defense has been, like, surprisingly good. And I think they've got a really weird home field advantage playing in that carrier dome. It's just kind of a different deal, you know, having an indoor dome in college. Yep. And it, it just seems like they they play pretty well there. But, no, I don't feel good about this at all for Syracuse. I just literally don't see how they can score against Clemson's defense. And, you know, Clemson, really good win last week on the road. DJ Uyongalele crushed it. Uh, <laughs> it's been play, he's definitely been playing better this year. I know Clemson's offense is, you know, up and down, but it has gotten better. Uh, 14's a lot when the over-under is only 50. But I just don't – like I said, I come back to it. I just don't see how Syracuse scores. And so I think Clemson wins like 31-7, to and I'm leaning Clemson here. I'm same way. We're on the same same page. Another game that I think is oh god, it's weird because for some reason I catch myself cheering for UCLA. I don't really know why. Um, I have no allegiance to them. I, when I was a kid, I liked their uniforms, and it might literally be that simple. Uh, UCLA's at Oregon. Oregon's lost a game. UCLA has not. But playing in Austin is a different deal. UCLA getting six points at Oregon, a game that none of us are going to be watching because we're all going to be watching Ole Miss LSU at the same time, but we'll be following the score. Something tells me Oregon just pops them. So this actually does matter to me a lot because I stuck my neck out. My biggest preseason pick was UCLA 10-1 to Pac-12, and uh, I gave it out big on Pick Central. I was into it. When I looked at their schedule, you know, DTR has so much experience. What's fifth year starting? You know, Kelly, they've got a lot of experience on their team. And then when I looked at UCLA last year, they were eight and four, but they lost like three games at the very last minute. And what impresses me is they're actually pretty physical for a Pac-12 team. Oregon is a totally different beast at home. I get all that, but I just cannot see a world where Chip Kelly isn't ready to fight at Oregon. You know, with his history there, oh, and when true. you look at DTR being a fifth-year starter, you know, you've got that experience. I mean, this game's good. The over-under is high for a reason. UCLA's playing shootouts this year. Oregon scores a ton. Bo Nix is, you know, really settled down. They, they had the disaster against Georgia week one, but they've been playing great football since. Um, I'm leaning UCLA in the points here. Uh, not going to fire it huge because, as you said, Oregon has those dramatic home road splits, but I just 
this game means too much for Chip Kelly. DTR with that experience, you know they're going to go up there and fight. A Big 12 game that this line's wild to me, and I don't know why, because I'm super high on Oklahoma State have, have as a program, right? And, and they're getting six and a half points in Stillwater against a Texas team that has been whatever. They're good. Okay, they're, they're Texas. I get it. But they've lost some games, too. Um, Texas minus six and a half at Oklahoma State, Ben. You mentioned it. My my radar is up because this line is crazy. I thought. I mean, you know, I could see if Texas is like a three point favorite, and I know Quinn. Who you know, when Ewers plays, they're a different deal. They lost the two games and they didn't have it. Yeah. They look and they were in a trap spot last week against Iowa State. They beat their arch rival forty nine nothing. They had an eleven a.m. kickoff. They could have lost uh, at home to Iowa State. I mean, they kind of had one of those like snooze fest eleven a.m. games we've seen Ole Miss have through the years. Yeah. But. Six and a half is insane. The only thing, the only thing that concerns me though, Neil, is Spencer Sanders has a shoulder injury for Oklahoma State, and he fought through it last week. And I'm just worried there's something we don't know about it because I just can't see why. You know, I'd get if Texas was two and a half or three, but a full six and a half. Stillwater's got a good home field advantage. You know, they blew that. You know, they lost a heartbreaker to TCU last week, but I mean, they covered the spread. That was a great game. It wasn't like a bad showing by Oklahoma State. I mean, they did blow. You know, like a 17 point lead but but it's almost like vegas is begging you to take oklahoma state yeah. six and a half it's almost like they're like come on come on take it take it take yeah. it no and that's it what it. i think too so i mean i'm, I'm there's no way i take points. texas I'm, I'm gonna really keep an eye on spencer sanders's news as this game approaches uh i think he's gonna play but that's just weirding me out i god i mean i just oklahoma state it's like that public underdog thing always scares me but tennessee was one last week and everybody got there with them so yeah. Uh, I guess I'm Oklahoma State or nothing, but like you, just something about this line, there's something that weirds me out about it. All right, we warmed up. Here we go. Ole Miss plus two at LSU, Tiger Stadium, 230, CBS, all that stuff. We all know the history on this game. Uh, I was talking to Matt Moscona earlier, uh, and Matt pointed out that home favorites against ranked teams – it's like 80-something percent the home team wins. Ole Miss is a two-point dog at LSU. This is a, per DraftKings as of 2.47 p.m. on Wednesday as we record this. So, you know, if the line moves, now you know. Um, I don't know, Ben. I, here's my thing. I think Ole Miss is better than LSU, all in all. The game's at Tiger Stadium. LSU feels like it's a little more battle-tested than Ole Miss. Now, that doesn't mean that they've passed the test in those battles. I honestly just don't know what the hell I think. I, I talk myself in circles on this game. What about you? I got a whole, whole heck of a lot of thoughts because and it's just – this is always a crazy week for me. I mean, I get messed with the Barcelona a lot, but, like, I mean, people know my history. But, like, I work for ESPN Baton Rouge, and, like, believe me, I, I want to make this abundantly clear on this podcast – Go to hell, LSU, a thousand percent this week. I get messed with all the time because people know I used to work down there and I'm friends with a lot of people down there. 
but they can rot in hell this week. And I want every Rebel fan to know that I, and I'm saying it, I'm saying it on Pick Central, I'm in an LSU group thread with T-Bob and Hester, and they saw me saying it, and I'm getting all this crap. But let me just be as abundantly clear as I could possibly be that they can rot in hell this week. All right, on to the game. All right, so there's a lot of stuff to get into. First of all, 50-year anniversary of the Burt Jones turn back the clock when you enter a Louisiana game this week. My dad, an LSU student at the time, told me that story a thousand times in my lifetime when there was a real famous game where Ole Miss caused an incompletion with four seconds left and they thought the game was over and magically there was one second left on the clock and LSU scored in the last play. And there's a sign in Louisiana when you entered from Mississippi for years said turn back the clock four seconds when you enter Louisiana. And the 50-year anniversary, it's like a thing of lore that I've heard my entire life. So the fact that that's the 50-year anniversary makes me think something wild is going to happen here. Can I tell you what happens when you tell me that? I felt so old all of a sudden. The reason, I grew up in Ruston. Burt Jones, the Ruston Rifle. Um, if you go into Ruston High School, you'll see uh, they put up busts of all the famous Bearcats. You got Burt Jones, Fred Dean, Neil McCray. I mean, um, <clears throat> uh, <Fred laughs> um, um, no, but I mean, when I was a kid, Burt Jones was the quarterback of the Baltimore Colts, and he was bigger than life. And um, if you saw him around town, you're like, oh, my God, there he is. And and uh, now been 50 years since Burt Jones played in that game at LSU. My God, he must be pushing 70. Make, yeah, I, I can't I can't get over the fact that we're all this old. It's unbelievable. Yeah, my old man, I mean, my dad. You know, my dad was a student then, and he's 73 now. So uh, crazy. But just I've heard about the lore of that game my entire life, so I wanted to make sure I mentioned it on here. When I look at this game, a lot of stuff to break down and get into. First of all, very high over under. I'm seeing 68. You know, we all remember the game two years ago, that 55 to just 50 nut game where Kayshawn Butte and that crazy Louisiana rain at 310 yards. You know, they got him going last week. He finally had a 100-yard game. And LSU's offense got, you know, untracked in a huge way last week. I mean, they hadn't looked anything like that all year. They scored 45 points. They had six touchdown drives on their first the first six drives were touchdowns. Uh, you know, I think it showed how much Will Campbell, their freshman left tackle out of Monroe, makes a difference. He was out against Tennessee, and you know it certainly seemed like he makes a big difference on the offensive line. When I look at this game, few factors to factor in. Your point that Moscona made about the unranked team over the ranked, that's actually a trend I follow in gambling. I usually bet the unranked team in that spot. Uh, the stuff that I'm concerned about in the old Miss end, Jackson Dart's first big start in a crazy environment. This is the first one. Look, I love Jackson Dart. He's been great with his legs. The vertical passing game has taken off in a big way the last couple of weeks, which is really my biggest old misconcern the first few weeks. Now the way you know, you're seeing Mingo and Watkins are really getting them going down the field. The turnover thing, you know, Corral had like, what, five in the game in Baton Rouge in that rain two years ago? Something three, like that. Three or four. And four in the first half. Yeah. And, I think that's my biggest concern is Dark taking care of the football in this environment on the road. Because I think that could be what, you know, he has got to, you know, if he has one or two turnovers, that happens. But you can't have him fall off. You know, Corral had a couple of those games a couple of years ago. We can't, can't have that. 
obviously there's a lot of concerns about Ole Miss's run defense about what Auburn did last week, but LSU doesn't really. I mean, I know Auburn hadn't had the greatest running game, but like LSU doesn't have the best running game this year. Daniels is certainly mobile and can beat with beat you with his feet. I think Ole Miss should be able to run the ball pretty well against LSU. I love this Ole Miss running game. 448 yards last week. Are you kidding me? Offensive line playing great. Love Zach Evans. Love Judkins. You know, to me, it's going to come down to it. Literally comes down to Dart taking care of the football. I mean, I know that that's like a you know very cliche. Like, oh, the team that turns it over less is going to win. But that's like my number one concern going into this thing. Yeah. I like the over. I'm going to tell you that. I, no, I think it's going to get wild, too. I, I think this thing could get into the low 40s, high 30s, easy, easy. I do. I I think Ole Miss is going to score a lot of points, and I just think LSU is going to do the same. I mean, I think Daniels is going to get his. And, and you know, two years ago, Kayshawn Butte caught like 300 yards receiving. Yeah, that was, was I mean, that was that was one of the craziest performances I've ever seen. I mean, Ole Miss was like triple, double and triple covering him at the end. You knew, I mean, you knew it was, he still couldn't. Just, yeah, it was unbelievable. I, it should be a wild game. I, I anticipate just craziness, but I who knows? I, I told you before we started, like we do Neil's picks on Thursday, and I, I, I'm picking Ole Miss. I don't know how confident I am. I mean, I, Moscona asked me uh, earlier the week, you know, what do you think? And I said, flip a coin. And I kind of think it's a flip a coin game. It, it will come down to turnovers and weirdness and how you handle the weirdness. Well, yeah. So my thing about the Ole Miss side of it, I don't like the, the line screen, you know, makes me, makes me concerned. But Lane Kiffin, the culture is different now. Like there was like the whole we are Ole Miss thing. Like we yep. get a lead in the game and you're like waiting on us to blow it. Those days are over. Almost 17-2 in their last 19 regular season games. Yeah. This team's a close game. They believe they're going to win it. And I know that that sounds cheesy, but that's a real thing where, like, the fan base and the players are just like, hey, we're I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to win. And I think this Ole Miss team truly does believe that now. This thing feels like a barn burner that can go either way. Uh, you know, I think Ole Miss can get it done. I don't – I'm probably not going to bet on this game. I'm going to just sit back and watch it. Uh, you know, I remember 2014. Granted, that was a 10-7 game, but it was like a similar spot. Ole Miss was like number three going in there as a favorite. I think we're like a three or three-and-a-half point favorite. And lost. That team was – Something about – That team was a Hugh Freeze team, and they were tight. He was starting to get tight. Hugh was getting tight. It's totally different with this group. This Look, they might go lose, but it won't be because they're tight and starting to freak out. It'll just be because they got beat. It's just it's just a weird dynamic in this LSU Ole Miss rivalry where LSU always acts like they're above Ole Miss and now Ole Miss is top ten and LSU's unranked. And it just I mean it it, it gets their fans quite hyped for it, <laughs> to, to say the least. And this atmosphere uh is gonna be outrageous. Look, I think Ole Miss can pull this thing out. I really do. I mean, I believe it. Like I said, Dart taking care of the football is is my number one thing, but you know, there's a chance I might homer take Ole Miss like right before kickoff, but I'm not placing a big bet on it. But I'm definitely not going in here saying Ole Miss is going to lose this game or anything like that. I think Ole Miss can win it. But I think it's – you know, I've seen these games through the years in Death Valley. I mean, these games are just nuts. They fall off the rails and anything can happen in them, and I think that's what we've got here on our hands. Agreed. All right, Mississippi State heads to Alabama. Bama loses uh, last week. State got beat. Um, State's getting 21 points at Alabama. Is that line big enough? 
man, the state thing, look, I just – I have it out with their fans on this, but this this Will Rogers thing has to be – it just has to be discussed. Like, everybody just like, oh, look at this dude's stats. He's throwing for a million yards. Like, cool, bro. You can check it down in the flat better. I mean, it's Alex Smith in the late NFL part two. Anytime you make state – and I know he pushed it vertically down the field a little more against Arkansas and AL, but, like – what happened at Kentucky and at LSU, like, give me a break. People acting like this dude's some top five quarterback. Come on. Uh, and I just – look, Bama, this is a solid bounce back spot. You know, 21 – I just – I haven't seen enough out of Bama this year in these games to want to lay 21 points with them, though. You know, I do think they'll win. Uh, also, I'm going hot take. Jeremy Pruitt's going to be Bama's defensive coordinator next year. I'm saying it right now on this podcast. Oh. I think I just have a feeling that what I saw in a Golding and Pruitt's second year off, I can, I just, I can, I feel like I'm seeing the future that something's going to happen on that. You could be right. I, I just a, a, a game I'm kind of excited for for some reason. I'll be writing and working, and I won't really see it, but I'll kind of be following it a little bit. Texas A&M minus three at South Carolina. Yeah, I, I'm curious about this one too. Just AM, I know they played pretty well at Bama, but I think they're getting too much credit for that. I don't think that that was because of them. Bama turned it over four times to let them stay in the game. Bryce Young Period. didn't play. Yeah, but I mean, if Bryce Young plays in that game, I think Bama would have won by four touchdowns. I literally think that the turnovers, too. that was the only reason that was a football game. And AM's getting all this like, oh, AM took all these strides forward. Like, Okay, like I, I, I don't know that I see it. In a weird way, though, I hope AM wins this game because I, I think it'll set up our game next week better if AM wins. Like if they lose as a road favorite here and they're a home underdog next week, that'll like I don't know that that's. But regardless of that, I mean South Carolina, I just don't trust them. I know they beat Kentucky, but Kentucky without Levis, that offense was a mess. You know, South Carolina had a good year last year under Beamer, but they were super overhyped going into this year. And I don't think Spencer – I mean, yeah, okay, Spencer Rattler has a big arm. Cool. You know, I hadn't seen anything out of him that makes me think he's an elite quarterback. So, I kind of think a and actually going to go get this done because they got a big edge in trenches. Yeah, I'm kind of that way too. Uh, another Big 12 game I want to get your thoughts on real quick before we switch to the NFL. Kansas State goes to TCU. Uh, just a three-and-a-half point line. TCU only favored by three-and-a-half, which is kind of – makes me wonder what's up. That's what I think, too. Kansas State's also a super feisty underdog and extremely well-coached. Uh, I thought this line would be five or six. And, I mean, TCU was laying five against Oklahoma State. Clearly what we know here is Vegas has a low power ranking on Oklahoma State. If Oklahoma State's getting five at TCU and K-State's getting three and a half, like what? Mm-hmm. So, I actually like K-State here. I know it's a tough spot on the road. But this line, just the same thing you said is what I think, too. And I also think Kansas State, you know, you look at them historically, they're a really tough underdog and they kind of struggle when they have expectations. We saw them drop that two lane game. Who's now in the top 25 and full eligible, but I, I I'm leaning Kansas state here to get this thing done. All right. NFL. You've been kicking ass on the NFL. And so I'm really interested. In, there's some games that I'm really, really interested in this week. And I'm going to probably approach this from the Ben taught me out of this angle. And we'll start right at the very first with the game that I need you to talk me out of. The New York Giants, all they do is win. Have an identity. They've won away from home. They've won at home. Uh, Saquon Barkley having a really good season, and they're really utilizing him well. They go to Jacksonville to play a Jaguars team that is doing the roller coaster. Wee! Up and down. 
The Giants getting three in Jacksonville. Tell me not to bet on the Giants. Tell me why not to bet on the Giants. Give me, give me something. I'm going to tell you not to bet on the Giants that I like Jacksonville, just like you're asking. Uh, I think a big part – look, don't get me wrong. I love – so when you look at the Giants this year, the second-half adjustments are phenomenal. The coaching staff, Wink Martindale, last week I was on them against the Ravens because Wink Martindale was the defensive coordinator for the Ravens, and he knew it. everything about Lamar Jaff. I said you, that. You said it. You did. You nailed it. And, but this game, Jacksonville, these Florida trips are a little weird when you go to Jacksonville or Miami. They especially if they're hotter, it's like a weirder kind of trip. Also, Doug Peterson, you know, will have Jacksonville ready. They're due a win after their last couple of weeks. Had a tough loss at Indy. And, you know, I do think the Giants are going to make the playoffs and stuff, but they're way due to do to drop a game here. You know, big wins against the Ravens and Packers. I, I just feel like this is kind of like a comeback to reality game a little bit. I, I like Jack. I don't love Jacksonville, but I like them. I think they get it done. I think Lawrence has a big game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I could actually see the Giants struggling on offense a little bit here too. All right, you talked me out of it. Thank you. All right, next one. Because I like the Bengals in this next one at home against the Falcons. Bengals giving six. I have a feeling that people are starting to overvalue the Falcons a little bit. You know, they they beat up um, um, last week. They they Niners. Not San Fran, but San Fran's got half their team out. They've got they got they got they're one of the most injured teams in the league. And San Fran's been riding a roller coaster kind of a team. Um, Spot the Bengals have to have for as bad as the Bengals have been three and three, they're right there at the top of their division because their division sucks. So everything that they want to do in terms of making the playoffs and scaring somebody is right there in front of them. I think they beat Atlanta and I think they beat Atlanta going away. I, I have a feeling by looking at you that you disagree. Well, I, the thing is, I just Atlanta's six and oh against the spread. I mean, they're just they're three and three, but they've been like playing so many close games and. You know, I agree with in instinct wise, since he back at home with it all in front of them, you know, they obviously got to go with Burrow and Chase as that was like the most. I mean, was that not the most obvious thing that was coming ever last week? The Jamar sure. Chase thing. I don't know. Like I was saying, you know, I don't bet against the Saints ever, but like the Chase over 78 and a half last week. And he didn't even get it till the fourth, but like, come on, that was obviously coming. Then he got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I said 150 and two TDs before the game, and he ended with 130 and two. But this so the thing with the Bengals is I just I agree with what you're saying in principle, but I just can't stand Zach Taylor's play calling, and it just drives me nuts. I think their offense under and they did get it going in the second half against the Saints, but I feel like they've underachieved on offense all year, and we've talked about that on here. And the other thing is like if the Bengals do get up a couple touchdowns, Atlanta could backdoor cover. Here, uh, the spot would say probably lean Cincy, but like Atlanta, the Cincy run defense looked bad last week. Saints ran for over 200 yards in that game, and Atlanta's got a pretty good running game. It's not as good since Corderell got hurt, but until Atlanta doesn't cover, I can't bet against them. So I think I'm gonna sit this out. All right, another noon game. Packers go to Washington to play the Commanders. Green Bay, a five point favorite. I just these Green Bay unders. I mean, I know the Washington has a bad defense, but. Just this, this, what's going on in Green Bay right now is a, a testament. The NFL game has changed the last few years. Everything's about the passing game. We know it. We know the rules. You can't skimp on the wide receiver position anymore. You can't. And, you know, the, it's just what they did to Rodgers, stripping him with Adams and everything they've done. He, everybody's, like, acting like, what's wrong with Rodgers? I'll tell you what's wrong with Rodgers. 
Look at his freaking receiving core. He's got Romeo Dobbs and Alan Zart. He's got Randall Cobb. I mean, he's got – dude, he's got nothing out there. They've stripped him completely bare, and that's what's happening. I kind of lean under in this game uh, is my thoughts. The thing with the commanders, though, they'll probably be better with Taylor Heineke than Wentz now that Wentz is out. I mean, I feel like Heineke played hard and the team liked him last year. Honestly, I might even take the commanders now that I mention that because it just seemed like – I'm not saying Heineke's, like, better overall, but as far as, like, a two- or three-week thing and a new energy, and he kept them in it last year and he fought hard. Like, things just ain't working on Wentz. So, maybe a change is good. Detroit heads to Dallas. Um, last I heard, I guess this is Prescott's return. Is that right? Is he going to go? It is, and I think he's ready to go. They were saying the ball was popping last week, and look – what happened last week to them, it, that was probably for the best overall because all these idiots around the country are like, oh, Dallas was better when Dak's out. Like, okay, Cooper, he finally turned the ball over last week. But all he was doing, he gave her 100 yards in that Rams game. I mean, literally that defense was winning every game for him. They're going to be a hell of a lot better with Dak. They're going to be more explosive on offense, especially now that Gallup's back. Uh, I think Detroit, from what I've seen, they're not the same on the road. They've been scoring a lot of points at home. But their last two, you know, they got shut out at New England. I mean, I think Dallas might kick the crap out of them here. Detroit is off a of, – I believe they're off a of bye, though. But, you know, Dak coming back, the over-under is 49. I don't know. I just – I'm, I'm I lean Dallas here. I think it's yeah, right. I do too. Uh, I actually think Dak – this is a great spot with how bad Detroit's defense has been this year. If Dak starts – be on the lookout for all his bets. Touchdown passes over. He's going to want to come out and have a big game and put it put an end to this like Cooper Rush stuff. Tampa Bay heads to Carolina. The Panthers last week were a fourteen point dog. This week they're an eleven point home dog in the NFL. You just don't see that very much. Tampa minus eleven at Carolina. What I'll say about this game, I hit that hard last week. Remember what I said about that Buck Steelers under? Yep. 2018 final with Tampa struggles right now. Uh, there's just – I mean, I'm, I'm taking under again here. I mean, I know until Tampa is playing games that are just flying under on the road, Carolina's D played hard against the Rams. Like, P.J. Walker completed, like, what, one pass past the line of scrimmage last week. I mean, it's just – it's it's bad. So I'm I'm kind of thinking Tampa wins, you know, another we, we see Tampa win some ugly 21-6 game or something. I don't know, but uh, I'm on under 40 and a half here is where I'm at. Okay. Cleveland goes to Baltimore. It's the Browns and Ravens. Cleveland getting six and a half in Baltimore here in this AFC North game. I'm done with this Cleveland team. They pissed me off so bad. I, I've had them. I bet them last week. And- oh, God. I, the week before the Chargers game just ripped my heart out. And then last week, why God? I, I don't know why I took them. I don't know that. That was the one last week early. I'm just like, what am I doing? You know, this this is not good. Uh, the only thing on this one, though, Baltimore is just not putting games away right now. I mean, they get these leads. If you, if you want to take the Ravens, take them first half. They get the lead every first half, and they've won three 10-point fourth-quarter leads this year. Yeah. Cleveland also, the Nick Chubb in the running game could keep them in it. And six and a half, you know, you got to watch out for these divisional games in the NFL. You know, those division games where the teams know a lot about each other, it's not the easiest to lay a lot of points. So, you know, maybe I'll try something different and go Ravens first half here instead of the game with the trend on them. All right, another division game. Two teams that know each other well. AFC South, Colts at the Titans. It's a two-and-a-half-point uh, Tennessee spread. Tennessee's off a of bye. I think Tennessee's going to win this game. I know they won that first game 24-17. Colts have, uh, you know, had the bounce. You know, they had a good – they beat Jacksonville last week, had a good win. But I'm kind of looking at under two here. Neither of these – just neither of these teams have any playmakers at all. 
look, you know, Pittman's pretty good for the Colts, but, you know, Traylon Burks, who you and I both like from Arkansas, is hurt right now. Yeah. And I, I could see this being like an uglier, low-scoring divisional 2017 game somebody wins. You know, both these teams know a lot of each other. They both need it in the AFC South. Uh, but it's hard to imagine a Ryan Tannehill, Matt Ryan shootout without many weapons in the passing game here. All right, here's another one that I like, and I need you to talk me out of it. The Jets head to Denver's a 305 game. The Denver sucks. They and stink. They suck. And they're and, and they're giving one point to a Jets team that has played pretty damn well. Is the home field advantage worth this much, Ben? I, mean, I this is like the old thing when you have like two teams going opposite directions thing and like the Jets thing. I had them last week against Green Bay. We were on that. The only thing that concerns me is Denver actually has a – I mean, they've allowed, what, six touchdowns and six – I mean, their defense is, like, outrageously good. And it doesn't even matter because of how bad Russ is. I mean, he – this is – you know, there are a lot of Saints fans that wanted the Saints to trade for Russ. And this is, like, that five-year, $245 million, he got $165 million guaranteed. It, I'm going to say it. It's the greatest heist maybe of our lifetimes. I mean, $165 million. Oh, listen, there, oh, are there, teams, there are teams out there going, oh, thank God for unanswered prayers. Thank God for unanswered prayers. Who had prayed for Russ Wilson. Well, so I have a source. To have him. I have like a source that's good friends of the Saints front office guy that I can't name or anything. But I asked a lot about last year when the Saints were talking about, remember they tried to trade for Watson and all that, and they said the Saints had no interest in Russell Wilson because they thought his tape was trash the last couple of years when that when the Saints were trying to figure out the quarterback thing. And so, you know, I, 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 the thing is, I know the Saints are a mess right now, but at least they don't have a $165 million locked up in the future. Uh, as far as this goes, I you know, I know what you're saying. Uh, the only way I could see the Jets losing, like, what if that, you know, the Denver's defense is going to have to win it and cause some turnovers. And there's a world where that could happen. Yeah. You know, the over-under is only 38 and a half. It's low for a reason. I mean, that's Denver's only path right now is winning 13 to 10 or 16-13. Uh, I'm Jets or nothing here. I think I'm leaning on. I mean, you just got to keep betting the under every week on Russell Wilson. The unders are, what, five and one now? I mean, it just, you know, until he comes out and beats me, I'm just going to keep taking under. All right. The uh, Texans head to Las Vegas, getting seven points against the Raiders. Anything? I feel like Raiders are due a solid. You know, they got their heart tripped out against KC on that Monday night when Devontae had <laughs> That was a tough look, shoving the old camera guy there, walking off the field. But they had a bye week. They're one and four. They're in a must-win spot. And I think Houston, I, I don't know. I just don't think their offense can keep. I feel like the Raiders, this is a spot where, like, they have to come out and win this game. So, I'm, I'm leaning them. Uh, this line's a little low, and I'm surprised. The Chiefs, uh, off that narrow loss to the Bills, they head to San Francisco. They're only two and a half point uh, under two and a half point favorite, I should say, uh, against the Niners. What do you think? I like this. Is I mean, this just hits that that gambling? I brought bring it up on here. The gambling trends I follow. The, the the Niners lost as a road favorite in Atlanta, and now they're a home underdog, which means like I just take them blind. Whenever you have that's just a straight trend I've been following for like twenty years. When you lose a game, when you're a road favorite outright, you're home underdog the next week. You just I think it's something about like it's like a backs against the wall mentality. Like we lost a game we should have won. We're back home. We're playing a team we're fired up about. You have a great week of practice. No one believes in us. All the BS cliches. But this is a spot where I think the Niners show up. Is is all is the long and short of it. Okay. Uh, Seattle, they were good to me last week. I bet them and they won. They covered. Oh, yeah, me too. Finally, Arizona won 11 in a row on the road before that, too. 
Seattle goes to play a Chargers team, and they get six points in uh, in L.A. against the Chargers, who are a little schizophrenic. They're they're good, but they're hard to figure out exactly. I, I don't hate Seattle plus six here. I don't either, and I'll tell you why. Justin Herbert's hurt. I mean, he's got that broken ribs. And did you see that when he was trying to wind up and push the ball deep? Did you see a couple of those throws on on Monday night? Yeah, throws that he did not make a year ago. He's hurt. He's hurt. He is legitimately hurt. Slater, their starting first round left tackle from last year's out for the year. Bosa's out. Keenan Allen's been out all year. They are a banged up football team. And like they might still win, but. You know, I just don't think they're very explosive right now. I mean, Austin Eckler's playing great. Um, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, I think I'd lean Seattle here. Seattle, who knew? The funniest stories, like I said it on here before, I'll say it again, the stories of the season, the upgrades at quarterback from from Russell Wilson to Geno Smith, man, and the upgrade from Matt Ryan to Mariota for Atlanta. Who, yeah. who knew about this stuff? But Seattle's – Carroll knew. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, well, Pete Carroll's got to be like, oh yeah. And so no, I, Seattle and Atlanta are the two like feisty. They just cover every week and play hard. And I think they'll do it again here. I really do. Okay. The Sunday night game, bit of a dog. We've had some great ones. This one's uh, Pittsburgh getting seven points after a win with Kenny Pickett. They uh, they had two Miami. Two is going to return apparently. Uh, the Dolphins giving seven points to the Steelers. If Tua plays, Miami's going to beat the hell out of them. Blood, bloody, very bloody. Uh, Pittsburgh, Miami's got an underrated. They're pretty good on defense. People don't really talk about it. If Tua plays a Sunday night show out spot, I know they've gone through a couple weeks. This is a bounce back situation for them. And you got to go against Pittsburgh on the road right now. I mean, yeah, they won last week. I give them a lot of credit. They played hard, you know, et cetera. Tampa's kind of melting down. But Pittsburgh, as long as Matt Canada's calling those plays and they got the offensive line they got, you got to go against them on the road. And I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami just, just, this is like a really big get right game. They look good the first few weeks of the year. You know, if two, I don't know if we two can get through the game healthy, but if Miami won this game like 31 to 10, I wouldn't be surprised. All right. Last one is the Monday night dog. Oof. The Bears with that offense. They go to New England. What the, what must the Bears think, Ben, when they put all these resources into fields and they look out there and there's Bailey Zappi winning games, making throws, looking good, reading defenses. The Bears must go, what are we doing? Why? How did we get here? Bears, plus, Bears plus eight at New England. I can tell you exactly how they got here. You draft Justin Fields – and then you go hire – how do you go hire Aaron Rodgers' quarterback coach from Green Bay to be your OC, and that's the guy you want to coach Justin Fields? What sense does that make? Like, okay, you're Aaron Rodgers' quarterback coach. Like, that – him and Fields couldn't be more different. Go get Lamar Jackson's quarterback coach or go get somebody that makes sense. I mean, that's got to be the easiest job in the world, being the, the Aaron Rodgers' quarterback coach. That's a horrible offensive coordinator hire, and they got no wide receivers. I mean, Mooney from Tulane, their number one guy, he's a fifth-round pick battle last year. He's pretty good. No, I'm not trying to say he's not, but, I mean, it's so much of like a, having a young quarterback succeed is you got to get the right play caller, and you got to surround him with talent, and he's got none of that. And they keep driving that Thursday night and white drop and feels back like he's some kind of pocket passer. Everything should be bootlegs. And I, I think I just feel like they're screwing feels and he's not 
getting put in this position to succeed. And the opposite is New England. You know, don't the, we got Barstool shirts now? Don't worry, be zappy. Uh, he, he, uh, but he, New England looks good, you know. And you know what New England's doing? Last two weeks, they're kicking the crap out of bad teams, and bad franchises. They shut Detroit out. They smack Cleveland. They're going to smack Chicago at home. And I know it hates a lot, but I, I don't care. I yeah, mean, I'm with you. Know. I'm with you completely. All right, uh, Ben, as always, man, thanks so much for the time. I, I know, I know uh, a few weeks away, you, we're going to we're gonna see you maybe in Oxford. For, oh, yeah. Uh, for oh, yeah. Can't wait next few weeks for uh, Ole Miss. I'm definitely coming back for Bama. And that's going to be a really special week, uh, baseball team, getting their rings and everything. Uh, that's going to be cool. So, yeah, but everything's good. You know, just really just I don't care if Ole Miss wins, you know, 42-41. Just, just pull this dang thing out in Baton Rouge. I literally don't care how you do it. I mean, if, if oh man, this one means so much. So hopefully, Ole Miss gets it done. There's, I'll just say it on the there is literally nothing I enjoy more. And it's you're from Louisiana too. Ole Miss beating LSU is my favorite thing ever. Always is. And I don't get me wrong. I love beating Mississippi State, but I didn't grow up. There's like that weird dynamic. I didn't grow up. You know, my family, my mom's side's from Mississippi. I mean, I grew up around there well, some, but I grew up dealing with the, those those guys from Baton Rouge. And like when Ole Miss beats LSU, there's literally there. I'm gonna say there's zero things in the world that make me happy. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was an Alabama fan growing up in Louisiana. And when I was a kid, I just cheered against LSU every week, no matter who they played. I just cheered for the other team. So yeah, I get it. it just, yeah. just something about when Ole Miss beats them it's just it's my favorite like that baseball series I swept them down there oh so kid look I believe Ole Miss can get it done and uh you know just can't wait and man just it's just so such a big weekend too just my, you gotta love it Ben as always thanks so much for the time look forward to visiting with you next week have a great weekend okay yeah and everybody check out Barstool Sportsbook opening at LaBear's Baton Rouge this weekend thanks again Neil our thanks to uh Matt Moscona to Ryan Brown to Ben Mintz tonight for hand raised guys appreciate uh those of you in the stream for being uh with us appreciate uh those who were kind of hoping for a uh, a call a call-in show tonight understand that we'll come back with the, one of those next week here on the show at least that's the plan and then uh maybe we'll make up for it next saturday after the texas a&m game uh we will have a call-in show for you on saturday night i will be in baton rouge on saturday at least that's the plan Ole miss at lsu 230 on cbs i'll have complete coverage at rebelgrove.com Chase Parham will uh, start a live stream shortly after the game is over, and he'll bring you the MPW digital post-game show. Jeffrey Wright will join. Brian Rippey will join. I will join from Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. We'll give you the recap of uh, seventh-ranked Ole Miss and LSU meeting once again in one of the big uh, rivalries in the South, one of the most fun games to cover and one of the most fun places to cover that game. Ole Miss and LSU so will have complete coverage of it. And uh, we'll be back on Monday with one last look back at LSU, and we'll start looking ahead to Ole Miss at Texas A&M next Saturday night in College Station. So, again, thanks to Ben Mintz, thanks to Ryan Brown, thanks to Matt Moscone, and thanks to you guys for making us a part of your week. Don't forget, we're brought to you each and every Thursday night by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Make sure that you, your heating system is ready to go. Get in touch with them. They'll make sure of it so that you can avoid some sort of a disaster in the event that your system's not safe and where you can stay warm in the event that your system just needs a little bit of work. So Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Again, thanks for being with us. I'm Neil McCready. Until next time, take care.